1: All right. Well, it's been a while since this person has been on my podcast. This person—that's not really a very familiar. This individual way to introduce someone is it? Yeah. This carbon,
2: this carbon-based life form, <laughs> to my right.
1: Yeah, but my friends would joke that there is a question about whether I am, in fact, uh, carbon-based. I'm sure you'll get a lot of that at the wedding, actually. Oh, yeah, I can't wait for the toast. Eh? Hey, everybody, oh, Nate's yeah. getting married. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get eviscerated, I'm sure. It's going to be it's gonna be hilarious. I've I've always gone way out of my way to keep apart my, like, real friends from the basketball friends. Not that mm. I'm not, like, good friends with them also, but it's kind of like, you know, I, I've had this point in my life where, like, I, all right, you know, I was just living my life, being normal. Mm-hmm. Did some dumb shit, and then I I became a a basketball writer, and I kind of, I like myself better as a basketball writer, so I don't really want to, like, cross the streams. You know,
2: I I am now realizing that you've completely compartmentalized this part of your life. You've never introduced me, even if I live about a mile away from you, you've never introduced me to anybody outside the industry. I've attempted to, though. You've attempted to? Yeah. A likely story. Yeah, and you just, like, weren't free or something. No,
1: no, no, you know what it was? You would have had to go into the city. I don't even know. That's what it was. That's what, you're way too lazy to go to the city uh, although back when I lived in the city you actually you'd come visit me th-
2: this move to the Chase Center will end my career the, I, the I, Ring Chase Center a, yeah the Ring Chase Center yes yes I, I, I'm like it's like in Field of Dreams where you can't cross over the uh, you can't cross over that line <laughs> I, I'm like that with the city of San Francisco it just can't happen it doesn't
1: happen the city's a toilet <laughs> it's a great it's a great Seinfeld line <laughs> but she's trying to get a, a lane to, she's like oh you know I'm kind of enjoying being single living in the city like you got to move to Long Island and have a baby.
2: <laughs> Shout out San Francisco poop patrol. Uh that that blew my mind.
1: But <laughs> yeah, the city is literally a toilet Tuesday. Uh <laughs> all right, let's talk a little warriors here and I think the biggest thing I, I want to talk about is you know, and we've discussed this too. There's always this feeling of inevitability once a team wins a championship, and yeah. especially since they swept the Cavs and swept LeBron out of Cleveland, that this feeling that it was all inevitable yeah. the whole time. And you know, what's your reaction to that?
2: Well, I believe the term for that is creepy determinism, that when yeah. something happens, because we as human beings, we don't like feeling as though the world is uncertain, so we retroactively uh, spackle over certainty into our memory that wasn't there at the time. And this is probably the biggest example, uh, at least with this team I can remember, where I, I don't know how confident was everybody when the Rockets were up double digits in Game 7. I, I don't think many people, other than El Elhassan, who was texting me, that the Warriors got this
1: and they're they're going to come back and it's easy. Yeah. I, I um, mean, I I would have probably had it like 50-50 at halftime in Game Seven if mm, you know, had asked me. And that's but really, you know, if you had looked at it from a, like a statistical modeling win chance, uh, yeah. l- look at it, it, it would have been probably far lower than that.
2: I believe the term Kerr used was they were coming completely
1: unglued. Was that was his that was yeah, the I mean, way he described a, it? An awful first half of basketball. I and mean, they could have been down a lot more than they were even in the, in yeah, the first and, half of that and Game Seven.
2: Frankly there were some indicators that were negative in ways that that just went beyond the statistics, which is just Kevin Durant getting pushed around in a game seven that looked a little bit, well, If they don't have this fight in this situation. Then how much faith can you really have? But in the end, as they do, uh, they set Ryan Anderson completely on fire. Um, and ended the rocket season in about two minutes. I think that two minute stretch yeah. ended the rocket season. And now retroactively after the sweep of the calves, it's, uh, well, of course, they were going to win the
1: NBA. It's so boring. It's so boring. Yeah. Uh, well, well, they only had to play one real team last year, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. Cleveland might have been one of the worst, you know, certainly one of the worst 10 finals entrants mm. uh, of my lifetime and maybe even worse than that. Uh, I've got a digressive
2: question for you, actually. That's not about the Warriors, but... Uh, here we go. Yes, here comes the digressions, everybody. Um, this Laker roster versus last season's Cavs roster, which which is better? I just want your take on this one.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I mean, because that Cavs team, remember, their point differential was basically neutral. And they just killed guys... In the uh, at the end of games, in yeah, part they're, because they're, of LeBron.
2: Yeah, their Pythagorean wins were were not not very good, yeah. if memory serves. Uh, I'll
1: say this: I think it is very possible that this Lakers roster ends up better than that Cavs roster. But there's a lot of ways it could be worse. The young guys don't develop. Mm-hmm. You know, Rondo and Stevenson play a lot. You know, Lonzo is injured, or he's not ready to take a step forward, mm-hmm. and he still can't <laughs> shoot. You know, I mean, there's they. Uh, don't play Josh Hart at all. You know, I, I think there's a lot of, they don't get enough shooting on the floor. Uh, the lack of a center hurts. I mean, I, I do think it's intriguing that they really only have one center on the roster mm-hmm. right now. So I, I think there, maybe their defense could be better than well, people think it's going to be. Do you want me to, look, you've
2: got you've got a very organized way that we're s- supposed to proceed, but uh, if I want to flit around and, and bring us back and segue us back to the Warriors, how do you think getting rid of the lumbering Zaza Petrulia maybe be going a little bit more centerless, more centerless than perhaps Kerr likes to do. How does that impact the Warriors going forward?
1: I don't think that much because you know if they really were gonna just play Draymond Green at center the whole time, then yeah, I agree with you. But they didn't add any wings that are worth anything. I, mm-hmm. I don't think. You, know, I mean, Jacob Evans did not look ready. No. Yeah. In, in summer league, Patrick McCaw. We presume he'll be back at some point in that one point seven million dollar qualifying yeah, offer, it, uh, and maybe he can give them more than he did last year. It's just one of but, those.
2: You know, is he really going to get a deal that blows him away? That is so much more so than than the qualifying. I just don't. I just I don't see. That. I
1: actually think if I were a team, I would would take a chance on him.
2: I might too. But, I but, might uh, too. that's
1: just not the way the market is
2: going. Well, well, maybe we should be talking about this all later, but I do think that, and this is actually a discussion I had with Kerr vis-a-vis McCaw, and I'd like your take as well. I don't think that this is an ideal scenario for a young guard to develop. Now, maybe I'm making excuses for McCaw, but I think that young players, especially young guards, need to make mistakes. I remember John Hollinger would talk about how uh, high turnovers are actually sure. a positive indicator, a positive indicator for the development um, of a young guard now macaw's very uh Cautious with the ball, and I think maybe even too cautious. Uh, well, he, he needs to just be able to
1: make an open shot. Well, that's yeah, all. I mean, that, that's part of it too, right? I mean, and, and because he's not going to have the ball in his hands if he doesn't have that one school, skill, he ends up being pretty useless. Although, I mean, he had regressed in every area. I mean, yeah. his defense sucked last year. It was you bad know, compared to where it was when he was. was playing good. D on like the think, Damian Lillard. You
2: know, I war. think he was the most hurt by my uh, by my lack of presence. I think I, that was the
1: main effect. No, of- but Looney flourished in your absence. You <laughs> did the pressure. The pressure I put on. Uh, him. Although he did really come on once you once you came back, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. But but yeah, so no, I, I don't mind if we digress from the outline here because mm-hmm. you know the other twenty nine will will be a little bit more focused.
2: Yeah, well, this team, it's you know, are they going to give a shit? Is a
1: real question. <laughs> See, I always I think that that was very much overblown in last year's regular season. Interesting. Um. Now. Now this is a take. So. And I think it was really the weaknesses of their personnel, especially just for a regular season when you have to go deeper into the bench, uh, were bigger, right? So uh, what were they in defense? Defensively, they were ninth in the NBA, but basically right around the same as some of these others. Way worse worse than they're capable of, by the way, based on roster.
2: That that would validate the don't give a shit side of the argument.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and that's, you know, I don't think this team is going to be necessarily a top five defense anymore. Like that that does, but really the problem is just when Steph Curry, I mean, they were 40 and 10 yeah. when Steph Curry played. That's yeah, right where they're supposed to be. When
2: Steph played, they were you know, a mid if to he high just 60s. the whole season,
1: we never hear anything about this. Yeah. But they are formulated, and this was a big criticism I had of their off season. they're formulated in a way that when he is not out there, they just don't have anywhere close to the amount of shooting. And so that really limits what, uh, you know, Kevin Durant is able to do. He, hit, he was much less efficient last year when Steph was out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Draymond Green, his weaknesses really get exposed offensively when you don't have those three shooters playing with him. Andre Iguodala, same thing. Yeah. Uh, and then you know they, what I didn't see coming in the first round when Steph was out. I mean, that's another one of your creeping determinism things. Remember how if they had had to play a real team in the first round, they could have been in trouble too. Yeah. Uh, but you know they started Andre Iguodala at point guard and they really defended and the Spurs just couldn't score on them. You know that's why they won that series mm-hmm. so comfortably.
2: Well, Igadala's performance perhaps lends credence to the don't-give-a-shit um, theory on them. Yeah. Just well, because but I also he, think he's, he, he's, not, he, We've it, had he's, two years of this now. We've had two years of Andre, pre-All-Star break, really looking completely washed well, up. I,
1: I, I just don't think he's capable of stringing together more than two good months, and so he chooses to do that at the end of the year. I mean, he is pretty creaky. The, that knee tendinitis has mm. been an issue for years now.
2: Yeah, so you think that's probably the, the optimal way to go, uh, the way he goes about it, of just not really oh, yeah. even being there, and then turning it on. I mean, the well, splits are pretty yeah. alarming with him when it for
1: pre to post. Well, especially with the, when you have tendinitis too. I mean, it's one of those things where you know you might tweak it a little bit, but you kind know, if you can start off at a hundred percent as you begin to play more and more and play hard, I mean, and the plays we've seen him tweak it on a lot of times are the real athletic plays he make when he really tries to get up there for a dunk or Mm -hmm. sprint out and transition and then lands after a big jam. You know, when he really does the athletic stuff, that's when he'll tweak it. And so, he's, uh, I think you get to the point where you start at 100%, and if you don't have, you know, four or five days to recover, you're just gonna, it's gonna just kind of continue to get worse and worse. Uh, And so, for him to, like, not Really start until the end of the season. I think that's a great idea for him. It is going to be 34 this year, so I, I like it as a little
2: subplot that, that he is just two different people and it's conscious. I, I I think it's as conscious as something like that could be. And uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at the splits for it. Uh, true shooting uh, pre All Star break last season uh, 50.4 percent after the All Star break 62.5 percent and I think fairly similar stark difference the uh, the season before. Maybe he's hacked the regular season. Maybe that's the way to go with it. Um, but the stuff that you said, there, there's truth to it in that they are a mid-to-high 60s win team, even with all of this, even with the apathy, if Steph plays. And here's the thing. Maybe this is the year, maybe we haven't seen them uh, be completely slothful, and maybe this is the season we actually see it. This is the season that we see one of those Lakers, early 2000s, uh, 20th in defense kinds of performances before a dominant playoff.
1: I don't think it's going to be that bad because they are, they'll are. they at least switch they also have enough young guys to, to bring a little energy the cousins things who knows what that's gonna be yeah. when is he gonna come back by the way what's, what's sometime the, like, in the that?
2: winter sometime in the winter yeah. i
1: don't think that but, like what do you in. think is the absolute earliest he could come back uh, the earliest december um yeah like late december
2: yeah i guess i i, I would say december i would say to be a uh, not a doctor uh not a doctor caveats but look we we intuit things based on just watching guys walk around and seeing if they look healthy like i, I took a meaning from it back in the 2013 playoffs when i was just watching bogut and uh and curry limp everywhere on one leg yeah i was struck at the cousins press conference you know i was talking to marcus thompson he was saying it to me that he's just strolling in he looks completely fine there's no limp he doesn't look his cousins yeah cousins doesn't look like he's gimpy yeah. at all well,
1: it's all about this Strengthening,
2: it, Of course. Yeah. I mean, of course there's more rehab to be done. I'm just saying superficially that that would be positive. And when he was asked if he would ever be 100%, he was confident he said even better. And maybe that's just something he says. But look, has
1: anyone ever
2: not said that? Like, has anyone ever been honest and be like,
1: eh, you know, I mean, I, yeah. no, I you no, know no, there you is do, some doubt
2: about You do hear that. Like, guys will say, oh, you know, we'll see. People do measure expectations. That does happen. I'm just saying that that would be at least... I can't remember that ever happened. Uh, well, Can you
1: remember one person? You, I
2: mean... Well, you're, you're you're in some rough luck, Nate, because I have a whole it, dossier here of all the times people have... Uh, no, I don't... Look, all I'm saying is it would have been negative if it was the other way. If he was
1: gimping pretty around... Pretty much every, every dossier you hear about these days is just <laughs> completely made up. It doesn't exist. It's, it's just... It's it's just, just a, Google. a figment, it's it's figment just a Googled, in the imagination. It's, it's, it's a to, Google Doc at best. Just to attack a fine, upstanding citizen or potentially political candidate that... Look, uh, you,
2: you are right to shoot holes in the idea that one can confidently look at DeMarcus Cousins' behavior in the press conference and the way he's moving and say, oh, he's he's fine and he's healthy. I'm just saying that I would put that in the positive column versus if he was hopping around and saying, I don't know, we'll just see how it goes. That's all I'm saying. So, that if you're if you're trying to handicap it, that's all you really have to go on as far as his participation with the Golden State Warriors. We don't have a lot else at this juncture.
1: All right. So, without Steph Curry on the floor last season, plus 1.4 net rating. Yeah. Offense below the league average. This is a story as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, he didn't play as much last year, right? Yeah. And the defense, which you would think would get better, right? In mm-hmm. theory, without Curry, you know, not really that much better. Right about the same where though, they were. So,
2: fairly nasty in the playoff stretch without staff if memory serves oh yeah
1: yeah but then the, you know they brought in Andre Godala instead of yeah. Quinn Cook you know so yeah uh but let's uh this is one thing I want to talk about here is mm-hmm. I'm not concerned about this team as much in the playoffs you know they have these roster weaknesses fine you know it, as long as they're playing all their best guys and their best guys are healthy I think you know that they're, they're still the championship favorites I'm not sure I would make them favorites over the field this year, which I certainly oh. would have in the last two years. Uh, but is this the year that we start seeing some slippage from Steph Curry and Kevin Durant? Because that's that to me, and then to a lesser extent, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, although unfortunately with Green in particular, Andy Goodell, we're not going to know yeah. until the playoffs because they're just not going to try as hard in the regular Although, actually, although, no, I'm sorry. Draymond's, Draymond Draymond's a little yeah. financially incentivized to try. Yeah, well, too bad <laughs> he's not getting that uh, designated player better extension no matter what he gets. Yeah, does I, so, I think that would be so, a little tough but, for the team architecture. But, you know, I mean, even if he's, you know, his free agent value or whatever, too, I mean, but he still has another year after this one. So, yeah, well, he's not and, getting
2: and, and, it, but the fact that he's not.
1: Taking it might be some decent leverage, or just look. That was a really dumb contract that he signed, by the way.
0: Yeah, well, I mean,
1: like to not get the max and to not get a player option. I'm very tempted to talk about what I know (laughs) about that, but
2: uh, I don't think I can. So we will, we will, we will move along. Well,
1: I mean, I, I. I'm, think I'm not know. saying that this is what you know, but my, because we haven't talked about this even privately, but, uh, you know, I don't think BJ Armstrong is a very good agent. Put it that way. I'm just going to take uh, a sip uh, of now, this. Now, well, actually, I, I shouldn't
2: I'm just going to take a sip of this water in, in response to No, I shouldn't say that.
1: that. I don't think that BJ Armstrong does a great job with his mm-hmm. client's NBA contract. If you want to look at what they've done as far as making him a personality and off the court, which is much more important, probably, than what he's making in the NBA, uh, they've done an amazing job with that. So if we're going to criticize them for that, you have to say, well, they've, I mean, Draymond. Green, you know, if you compare, he's got a great personality.
2: I was about to say, yeah, who could market Draymond Green?
1: Such a such a wallflower that guy. But but, okay, but he's also like kind of an asshole, and he doesn't score at all, and that's what people usually like have a hard on for. So
2: yeah, that's okay. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, there there is a lane for that every now and again that opens up. Dennis Rodman comes to mind back in the day. Yeah, they did make a shoe for Dennis Rodman, but yeah, all, all fair, all fair. But yes, that contract and look, maybe though it has something to do with, and this is an interesting thing, an interesting development to me to me this was an underrated development that Draymond was in the war room, the draft war room for the Warriors. Um, that's unusual. I, I don't know what the meaning of that is. It certainly means that behind the scenes, uh, things are going a lot better with Draymond than they did in the past. But that is
1: not common. Oh, yeah. Wait, don't... You are going to owe me, actually. A oh, dinner. yeah, 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 you, yeah. You remember that?
2: No, no, yeah. Draymond's tenure with this team has yeah, lasted this was, far this was longer. Um, far, you know, it, it was... There was a lot of friction at one point. Obviously, I mm-hmm. might have written about it. But this is something that is repaired itself um, gloriously for the Warriors. So if you're a Warriors optimist, and it's kind of hard not to be, uh, you would look at you would look at that and look at how Kerr and Draymond get along a lot better than they did in the past. And to the point where I don't think Kerr has any problem with Draymond being in the draft war room. A place where a trade, a proposal for trading a key piece of a team can happen.
1: Yeah. Um, well, but here's the thing like, Draymond, just his, his personality. I mean, I, and you've talked to him about, you know, opposing players or whatever, mm. like, He's well aware yeah. of the strengths and weaknesses of everyone on the team, and, have and been, ever, and and, and, yeah. and it does not shy away from telling those very players those same things. And so, so like if they're like, ah, oh, you know, maybe we have a weakness here or something, and like he probably feels that like even more extreme than oh. than, than they do, right? Oh yeah, no, he uh, he's he, even more cynical. He's
2: about somebody it. where if you're around him, he loves to give takes on everybody and the contract, and just he would be he would be a decent resource in there. And uh, I liked what he said. About how the Warriors are looking for 16 game players, not not 82 game players, and yeah. this idea that it's a different environment in the playoffs and it's about exploiting weaknesses. Now, <laughs> Jacob Evans might not yeah. be a great. Yeah, he,
1: pick. he might be a zero game player.
2: <laughs> he might be a zero game player
1: if, if uh, he can't hit a shot. It's a good
2: talk radio take, but yeah, he did not impress. He did not impress at all in summer league. Um, but then again, neither did Draymond. Uh, neither Draymond Green in summer league, if memory serves. So, yeah. um, yeah, uh, but that to me was an, a, a good distinction and maybe a subtly uh subtly smart point about the kind of player the Warriors need uh that's a different need perhaps than some other teams might might be looking yeah. for so um i don't i can't even remember how we got on the subject but that to me again that's very unusual for a team to do teams might have a player show up to lottery night yeah. as a good luck charm
1: they don't tend to have them in the war room so well but this actually is a segue into something else I want to talk about too again okay. where, where is you know people are talking about maybe Kevin Durant leaving. Maybe he doesn't make it to the Ring Chase Center as you uh, as your alter ego. So then again, it
2: c- it. couldn't Ring Chase be a positive name as well when you think about it. I mean, that's good branding.
1: <laughs> I- uh, so, but anyway, I mean, really, what we're talking about is if they don't win the championship, then maybe if they win, he's going to stay. Like, he's not going to leave after three straight championships. Like that—that that, that would be like just beyond the pulse.
2: Yeah, that's me. and, and not, that's why
1: that's Draymond not, is still here. They won two championships. So you're not going to trade yeah, Draymond. Nobody leaves the
2: craps table when they're up. <laughs> nobody, nobody. That's just not how the human mind works. We just want to keep playing this out and seeing and, and see where it goes. And also, when you combine it with the ring chase center. I think that is that is a thing to want to play yeah, in that. Yeah, see,
1: that I actually don't Think is as big of a deal. You don't think that's a big deal? No, I don't
2: know. Maybe I'm wrong though. Versus I do played, talk to more players than I do. Versus playing in the asbestos-infested Madison Square Garden. Um, no, they probably. No, got, no, yeah, no, they renovated it. Yeah, they got rid of the asbestos. Shout out to. Yeah, they got the skybridge. Yeah, shout out to Madison Square Garden. Um, look, uh, could Kevin Durant leave? I know that hangs over the Warriors' heads like the sword of Damocles. I can't predict it. I think it's Kevin Durant's famously difficult to predict. But insofar as we can predict something or try to be certain, I agree with oh. you. If he wins a championship, it makes it all the more.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and then if they don't win... You know, maybe everyone's injured or something, and that's why they don't win. But like, if they just get beat, and you know, and I can guarantee you this too: if they get beat, it will be in really ugly fashion. Unless there's like an injury or something. So you're saying it will be
2: like like when the Mavericks uh, decimated the the, the
1: Lakers. Well, and and there'll be some infighting. There'll be some drama. There'll be vultures like us waiting to report Mm. on all that, or at least you, you report. Yeah, I'm a good, I'm a a good vulture. I try to Um, try to do my best. But well, so where I wanted to get back to though is. I mean, to me, the biggest vulnerability with these guys is just the regression of their star players. We talk about the guys, and people are like, oh, they got the same four guys. They're all awesome. Like, all right, so, so, <laughs> why, do you, why do you sound like Raymond Ritter? So, you say? So, <laughs> <laughs> got the same four
2: guys. You know, we got Damian Jones coming off the bench. We got a you know, good crew, a good veteran, solid guys. Um, Okay, sorry, you were saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, if you don't have both Steph Curry and Kevin Durant mm-hmm. as top five players in the NBA, and, you know, in Steph's case, I mean, he's going to be turned 31- Uh, You know, and and the all-time greats can kind of keep their primes going a little more. But certainly there have been, on film, you see... Steph is not the player he was two years ago. That magical 2015-16 season, which still might have been the greatest regular season yeah, anyone has ever had offensively. S- still, s- any- and, and KD doesn't really get to the rim as much anymore either. Like he can be, I think he can be bothered a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are subtle signs of slippage mm. for these guys, and they might slip as well defensively. You know, KD was another; he was one of the big culprits, I would say, in you know maybe even more so than Draymond and Andre in terms of their defensive slippage towards the end of last year. Yeah, um, certainly in some of their worst defensive so, playoff so, moments. So, I mean, like, do, what do you think? Are we going to be talking about, okay, both these guys are still clearly top five players at the end of the year? I think probably,
2: but... I know. don't know if we'll give them their due credit because uh, you just give up touches and scoring opportunities, and so when we... I mean, I don't know how many people talk about Steph as a top five player now. I think they should, but I don't think that they do anymore. Oh,
1: no, they do. I mean... I, I think, well, like, the, any top five list would have him in there. Uh, like, especially after Get the out finals. the
2: dossier! We need the dossiers! No, look, we, I, they, they're going to come out with all those lists because it's the end of August and into September of the rankings, so maybe I'm wrong about that. But it just seems as though um, they give up a little something. So I don't know how we're going to consider it. I think they will finish the year looking like top five guys. I don't think the erosion hits. At this yeah. juncture, if you want to make the comparison of Steph to Steve Nash, Steve Nash was really really good in this period of his uh, career uh, if we're doing the age yeah. comparison so and then if we want to talk about Kevin Durant maybe he doesn't get to the rim as much maybe he loafs a little bit defensively but he yeah. still has the exact type of body and game for aging in the NBA that you would want
1: well here's another reason why I think that they're effective you know and Kerr has talked about this to some degree that you know for three years four years now teams have been trying to come up with defensive strategies to beat Golden State. I think houston by switching all throughout the year you know i've heard from some other teams too that they're going to be doing a lot more of that mm-hmm. this year and so at the exact same time as being able to beat guys one-on-one that's kind of the first thing that goes for you as a superstar so at the exact same time as that is going to be at least subtly waning you're facing defenses that are forcing you to go one-on-one more than ever and certainly they can continue to refine their tactics you know they did that to some degree over the houston series houston i thought still was was making them struggle a little a bit especially when they couldn't get into transition even by the end of that series. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're gonna have to go one on one more. Maybe they're just not quite as capable uh, of doing but that, there, you there, know, especially but against are, like a Boston. You, you know? You've
2: talked about this with me a little bit. There are ways to skin that cat that
1: the NBA yeah. has It a completely... takes a ton, a ton of discipline. I mean, you really and we talked about this a ton during the uh the finals or the West Finals series, but like mm-hmm. there's you know probably twenty different subtle little things you can do in a given possession, one of which might work, but you have to be disciplined enough to do all of those things to force a breakdown in one of those 20 possible ways mm-hmm. um you could you give could you give the listeners an example okay i mean you know it's one of them is you really sprint hard into a screen yeah you know so that when you the switch occurs your guy is behind you they switch your guy, the guy coming off the screen already has a ton of momentum Or, uh, you know, it could be... At the very beginning of the possession, we're going to make sure that their center is switched on to our best shooter. And now, if the guy... Someone else wants to go one on one. It's a little easier because you, that their best room protector can't leave mm-hmm. the shooter. I mean, there, there's just or you could run some set play that specifically takes I guess, advantage. I, I, I of, guess this of
2: is, an, this, is an inter- this is an interesting theory because there's something to this. It, it, it's a good idea that maybe the perhaps the age curve or the drop off we will see it more pronounced at a moment in time when uh, switching is more in vogue and it will it will do more to expose aging in a way that Steve Nash didn't have to deal with but then you'd have to accept the premise that that switching is different than other forms of defense that can be manipulated and figured out that there's something about switching that's just a killer app and there's there's no there's no way to um to to really overcome that in a, in a similar fashion so i don't know if i buy that i don't know if i buy that
1: i don't know if i buy that it's just going to evolve into one, on one at the very least it's harder to to come up with a strategy yeah to beat it, if you have the I mean, the whole problem in theory is, well, you don't have the personnel to switch and that's why it doesn't work. You're just at too big of a disadvantage. Well, the the
2: Warriors are interesting that a lot of what they've done to try to combat switching... um, I remember when when I was at a practice and Thibodeau was just... he was at the practice um, and he was wowed by what they were doing because they were doing that thing where they try to attack it off the ball because big men are not used to tracking guys off the ball. Um, And so they've been trying to crack this for a while and that is why I think... Yeah. That's a big factor but, but in why then, they got
1: Cousins. But then because they practiced. They, they, teams practiced having yes. their big men work off the ball. That Houston did that all year. And they I thought yeah. they did a pretty good job taking that one. They, they did. I mean, they're yeah. always
2: they're always trying to try, uh, stay one step away. And I think at a certain point it's just, well, let's get DeMarcus Cousins and just bash this thing into oblivion. Yeah, let's, I mean, that
1: um, clearly wasn't the plan, as both of us have, have talked about.
2: But that's why they were excited about it. Yeah. I, I, you know, that, that's why they were excited about it and probably, you know, took whatever necessary risks to do it. It was, that's what, that's what Kerr was excited about is specifically about the yeah. switching. This is, this is our sledgehammer yeah. to this whole thing. Well,
1: I mean, he's, I, I think he kills them more defensively than he helps offensively against the absolute best teams.
2: Mm. Okay. I mean, that, that might be true. It's tough because I haven't seen cousins in a playoff setting um where he has reason to be locked in and also i at least think with cousins that he has some attributes defensively i like i like a big guy for the sake of rim protection who cannot be shoved around and who's strong so that's good but you're probably right i mean he's not i mean he's too slow
1: i mean it just gives you a place to attack in conventional pick and roll defense um all right so let's talk a little bit more about just some of the the nuts and bolts here kevon looney jordan bell Damian Jones put those guys in order of how much <laughs> how much they play at the center position because that's going to be your three guys uh to start the year so we have so Looney Jordan Looney, Bell. Bell and Damian Jones I think Kerr would want to play Looney most but Looney will
2: Oh, okay so now it gets a little interesting we're trying to handicap hell um I mean, you could even see Jones
1: starting just because he's like the most conventional yeah I just have never liked his feel for the game oh yeah he's been awful I've I, mean, not, I think that's, it, it's his it's, G League stats are decent, but then
2: again, the yeah. G League doesn't have enough big men, so perhaps... Yeah. No, it,
1: I, I mean, and he did not look, although his, his summer league was cut short, he did not look, I mean, he had six fouls in the first half of his first game, you know I mean? He, yeah. it, which encapsulates...
2: Didn't he have a the, nice little stretch in a game against the Thunder? I, I
1: think. Yeah, that, I mean, he finished like four layups.
2: Yeah. It, I, I've just never... Feel for the game is one of those things that I, I don't think yeah. comes. But with big men, it's a little different, and with certain guys where I've made that criticism uh one of them uh got a max contract for the dallas mavericks so you never know um i i look i'll just go i'll go uh jordan bell looney uh followed by jones
1: yeah, and I think that would be the fairest outcome. I think Bell is the best of those players. Um, and hopefully, Ker, whether it's actually true or not, will uh, stop believing that Bell is as much of a screw-up and, and play him a little more my, and be willing to live with the mistakes or maybe he makes fewer mistakes.
2: My, my Bell caveat uh, on, on how this all plays out, it's not even about the awareness. I just remember I, at Summer League this year, on the floor, you get a better sense of it. He just plays such a reckless style. I,
1: I, so you're, you're concerned he's going to get injured? Yeah. He, yeah, I mean, he had, I mean, a, a couple of, and the two plays he got injured on last year were way up in the air, out of control, kind of landed. And, yeah, and
2: he just goes full throttle and throws his body around in a way that I know Looney is the obvious injury risk, but um, I mean, if Looney, I mean, Looney can't play like Bell does, but if he, if he tried to throw yeah. his body I around mean, no, he, that he's in so control all the time, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: he, like Bell is going to get way up in the air and maybe he lands on someone and he, he sprains his that worse.
2: would be my main caveat for center of the future. I know Howard Beck wrote that great article on uh, on Bell as the prototypical warrior center. And he's certainly a guy where I am far more excited when he's in the game versus, uh, versus the other two, uh, versus yeah. Looney. Looney, I, I, it's funny. I, I get a lot of responses where people think that I have this uh, inordinate investment in Looney's career, but... I wouldn't say I'm necessarily down on Looney. I just, his career hasn't progressed in the way that I would have. Uh, well,
1: he's an inordinately boring player. Yeah. That's what your real problem with
2: him is. Well, he, he's somebody where he does have a feel for the game, unlike Damian Jones. And I remember in his first summer league, he ran the floor a little bit. He had some nice passes. Um, And the way he he plays such a circumscribed, just uh, don't make any mistakes, kind of almost of a boxy, herky-jerky game that it, it just doesn't aesthetically, Please me, but they love his defense and I, I one of the Warriors coaches, their assistant coaches, I was I was saying to them that I thought Bell should be getting more minutes than um than Looney, and I spat back to me is you don't know about positional defense, uh, which was spat back in my face. Uh, well,
1: so. I, I will say, actually, that Looney was probably more successful switching on to the Rockets' ball handlers in that series than Bell was, despite Bell's superior physical tools. I think if Bell can kind of calm down a little bit, that that, mm-hmm. might, that might change. Uh, but Looney is just such I, a deer in the headlights I, offensively. I, that's where Bell is actually the big upgrade. I,
2: I did enjoy James Harden versus Kevon Looney.
1: I, I, well, good, because you saw it 47 <laughs> seven times a game. I'm glad that you enjoyed that because that basically was the entire series.
2: That was the battle of all battles uh, as far as I was concerned. Yeah,
1: I, I wonder I wonder if the Rockets will try to diversify their offense a little bit. I mean, I guess they've got Carmelo now. so Oh, yeah. Uh, well, so maybe he can go one-on-one every once in a while. Um, let's see here. Anything else that strikes you as uh, like some of the rotational battles uh, that are going to pop out here uh, for this team? I, I think you, the backup wing is always really interesting. Yeah. Well, well, it's a,
2: little, it's a little hard without knowing uh, the status of one of one Macaw. Uh hey, Let's assume he's going to be on the
1: team. What else is going to happen?
2: Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll assume Macaw. Um I'm looking at looking at the depth chart right here. I mean, the center, the whole center battle is perhaps more interesting than than the wing battle and the backup wing battle. I I do I uh, I'm wondering with Jerebko to, to sort of move it around a bit. Just how do we feel about that? I I feel uh,
1: regular season player. Yeah. He's too slow defensively at yeah. this point in his career he can make shots uh but he's not really like a volume shooter
2: then again um i do wonder with this team we assume that they're going to make shots because they're going to be open and it just doesn't necessarily work out that way whether it's well nick young wasn't in shape but uh Caspi yeah, who didn't take shots. made enough
1: shots yeah I and mean, Caspi that was just a weird that turned toxic. I mean, and, and Jurebko has like played on some good teams before. Like he's, yeah. he's I mean, I think in the regular season he
3: but can guys help will give a little
2: cons- space. But guys will consistently talk about how there is an anxiety to playing on this team and taking a three pointer that one of the other famed three point shooters isn't getting. That messes with you a little bit. Now maybe yeah, that's subjective.
1: But Jerebko not going to be playing with all those guys at once. Yeah, think. he's not going to be. I, just, I mean, who who else? Is, I mean, other than Caspi, I can't think of anyone that that's I, really. I wonder effective.
2: if he was a quality. If he he was a quality addition that we might be underrating because the Caspi thing went so disastrously. No,
1: I I, I don't think so. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. he, he's just, he's a, a pure stretch four at this point. He can't defend well enough to be on the floor in the playoffs. I mean, he couldn't even do that with Utah last year with Rudy Gobert behind yeah. him, but I think he can, you know, I could very easily just see him like hardly playing at yeah. all. I mean, he, he could just be done too, you know, so. Although he is, uh, he can offer DeMarcus Cousins some Achilles rehab. Uh, <laughs> well, that's... Durevko is actually one of the more successful Cases um, coming back from Achilles, mm. but but yeah, I mean, so uh, I'll ask you the same question. Yeah, Macaw, yeah, Jacob Evans, mm. Quinn Cook. Mm. We can. Which a, of those three guys? We, we consider play the Quinn most? Cook a, a wing, or yeah, or just... I think so. I mean, like there's, they've got Iguodala on the second unit, Livingston. Kind of, I mean, Livingston. I think he's going to just it'll you know, be in kind of the I same think... boat as as Iguodala, just not play that much in regular season. I think I have
2: to opt for Quinn Cook. There is just a, a slightly better yeah. version of Ian Clark. Yeah, because um, yeah. he
1: can shoot the ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, I mean, that's and that's something again that they desperately need well and and
2: unlike Ian Clark he can make he can make some plays Um,
1: yeah he's got that that pull-up jumper and he's he's better defensively than Clark
2: too yeah Um, one of your least favorite least favorite players I would say Ian Clark one of the guys that you would kill most frequently
1: yeah well I I think sometimes it's not even that like a a guy is my least favorite it's that the popular perception of how good a guy is when they're on the Warriors can mm -hmm. become inflated Mm -hmm. because they're in such a good situation so I feel if people are like oh Ian clark he's really like a good rotation piece like okay you know and then like he went to new orleans and he was getting time just kind of because they didn't have anyone else and then i thought other than that one game he really got exposed in that series against the warriors that the coaching revenge game which is one of my favorites (laughs) where the coaches are like oh man we've had to deal with this guy's weaknesses and like paper it over the whole time so it's like oh we're just gonna like gleefully go after it." the Warriors did that with spates too the first time that he came up with Mm. with the clippers um but yeah i i think uh I agree with you. I think it's Cook because he has the one skill that's very prevalent. And McCaw and Evans, they're going to have their chances. Iguodala's going to get plenty of rest. Livingston's going to get plenty of rest, even from I just don't don't even
2: know how to think about Evans until I see him hit a few shots
1: consistently. He can defend. I I mean, I think he's going to be an NBA-level defender what?
2: You know what? This is a team that has a tendency where, if you can defend, uh, they'll live with some of your other weaknesses. And I'd say that's to their credit because some other teams aren't like that. I could
1: actually see Evans getting some time in some of these units with like a bunch of the stars like the mm. shooters or especially you know if like if kd has to miss a game or Draymond has to miss a game i could see evans just like starting yeah that would be uh, a curve move that'd be yeah, very that's a, oh i don't want to disrupt the rotation yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: doesn't even sound like her
1: but yeah <laughs> that would be that would be a very very no, very it, does not, it sounded like me uh so yeah i, I think that's uh, that's how i see that as well um do you see any other weaknesses on this team that we haven't talked about? Is there a potential Achilles heel? I mean, I mean there, other than the
2: other than the Achilles heels?
1: Um, yeah, other, little... other than... I mean, I guess, you know, that's one, right? It's just a, maybe cousins just fr- well, the, from a, the a, weakness, a personality standpoint. As, as far
2: as I see, the weakness would be... Uh, per what we discussed earlier, that this team again, can never get away from its Steph Curry dependence, and Steph played 51 games last year. Fewer if you count, you know, uh, one of the games where he went out with three minutes uh, three minutes yeah. of the action. Uh, so he played about 50 games, so, you know, the, the conversation about Steph, where are we going to see him exposed, and the switch and everything else, maybe the bigger concern is, is this when the injuries start to rack up for him, and he starts to break down, and that's something that this team, I don't think, can uh, withstand. Yeah. And they were lucky well, to Withstand it last season in the playoffs.
1: Well, and, and that yeah, that's a great point. I mean, if KD or Steph's injury just happened at different times, I mean, there's more of your creeping determinism, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even two years ago, KD just you know made a, an unbelievable recovery from that MCL and Steph the same way, right? I mean, yeah. like when is the last time a guy and Steph wasn't maybe a thousand percent, but he was pretty close to it by uh, you know he was able to do enough against yeah. the Rockets and then you know that Cleveland. He, he defense looked was a, a lot better than he looked when he came back in the uh, 2016. Right playoffs yeah yeah um, i agree I mean, and coming off the grade two, i mean they, they were able to baby him a lot more obviously mm-hmm. um at, at that point but yeah it, it's uh but you know i mean if the like if one of those two guys gets injured i mean probably if clay or draymond is injured i mean to it's actually very lucky that during the key portions and you know i know Seth was injured during 2015 but you know they've had they haven't had in a deciding series not all of their players available at any point in the last four years those four guys i mean just statistics I mean, Draymond doesn't really get hurt. Clay doesn't really get hurt, but like you, you would think that at one point, one of your top four guys is going to miss time. Well, and, and they And
2: have... then it bears mentioning that um, Chelsea Lane, we have no idea how to calculate her impact or whether she matters at all. We have no way of knowing, uh, but she's out of the picture now. Yeah. Um, and they've had just a complete restructuring of their medical training staff yet again. So maybe, you know, one side of the argument, would why be, did that happen? Do you know? Uh, well, she wanted more money than they were willing to pay her. I mean, that that's that's how that went um Where she, she went to Atlanta right Yes yeah. She went to Warriors um, Warriors Southeast, Warriors Southeast. Yeah. yes uh, yeah, and the Warriors, they have a very venture capitalist uh, position on these matters, which is we're spending on the players. That's that's where the talent is. And then maybe on some other fronts, there, there isn't going to be as much spending because they think that they can get a better deal or a better person. Maybe that will catch up with them. Maybe that this was uh, this was a mistake, perhaps, and you're going to see that reflected uh, in the amount of injuries. I can't speak to uh, her replacement. I think that's just out of our purview. of uh, Unless somebody's doing something egregious like the Pelicans, hire uh new orleans saints people um off that scrap heap uh it's hard to really judge but there is reason to wonder if this medical situation is going to be uh serendipitous this year
1: uh yeah i mean stuff better be healthy because they are unwatchable when he doesn't play <laughs> in tough. the regular season I mean, it is, it's it is bit. all right let's do a quick read here and then we will uh continue get a, uh, ethan's prediction uh and a, a few more non-sequiturs no doubt yeah <laughs> so i'm doing this read about hymns i'm sure ethan would have something snarky to say about it but he'd be wrong for that because hymns is actually a wonderful service back when i was in law school 25 26 i noticed that uh the troops were starting to retreat uh, along my hairline and so i started taking a finasteride and over the last 10 years or so i've really maintained my hairline because i acted quickly and there is a medical solution to keep your hair if you've noticed that you're starting to lose it and i know a lot of people certainly for me it was a little bit of a shock to notice that i was losing my hair in my 20s. and now uh, my preferred solution is Hims because i don't have to actually go into a doctor's office to get a prescription that was always really one of the more annoying things about it i actually would run out and then i'd wait a couple of months to go back in to get another prescription but with Hims, you can just connect with real doctors and medical grade solutions to treat hair loss and they have generic equivalents now to these name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair you just got to answer a few quick questions and a doctor will review and prescribe you and the products are shipped directly to your door baldness can be optional thanks to silence especially i shouldn't say silence thanks to science baldness can be optional i have abandoned silence when it comes to this topic because it was something that was embarrassing and i after a while i was like no that's ridiculous that it would be embarrassing i actually started telling all my friends that they should do the same thing that i was doing if they started losing their hair so there's no reason not to talk about it on a podcast here but hymns will ship all of these products directly to your door and baldness can be optional the way to get started with them you can get a trial month for just five dollars right now if supplies last see their website for full details this would cost a lot of money if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy but at hymns at forhymns.com slash cat easy to remember because we talk about cap space all the time on the program here for hims dot com slash cap space once again that's for hims.com slash cap space get that trial month for just five dollars today while supplies last for hims.com slash cap space make sure you use that slash cap space URL let them know that you came from us alright we're back uh, so anything else that's really just been on your mind uh, about these guys before we we get into our predictions here
2: um yeah that's that's tough <laughs> what's
1: been on my mind about the Warriors oh <laughs> It, feel could like, be, it could be feel nothing. Like a I mean, comedian... we're so, we talk about them so much. I mean, you and I even talk about them when we're just hanging out, which is pathetic. But uh... <laughs> it's a little bit sad. It's a, it's a little bit pathetic. Well, I'm we'd a... have to talk about your kid otherwise. Yeah, so that's that's, I mean, e- that's even basically all, all we've got at this that, point. That, that,
2: that's even worse. I'm just looking at the depth chart. Sean Livingston, a player. We yeah. want to talk about like aesthetics. Uh, this isn't really on my mind. Sean Livingston is a good player who aesthetically, and I'll just admit this on this podcast. I just don't enjoy.
1: I, I feel like I'm just getting off. Him. Yes. I, I, I actually, I, I really the,
2: appreciate his skill level in the post. I, he's good. I'm not saying he's not good, and it's funny that we didn't. He might not be good this year. That well, could be a problem for them. Yeah, we didn't bring him up the whole and time. He, I mean, he, and and
1: actually, it's interesting because his. We talked so much about the lack of bench shooting. Mm-hmm. His their construction with him as a key bench wing piece, and, and you know, he's he's given them good minutes, obviously, uh, and has been useful. But him being on the roster as opposed to just kind of like a normal, you know, backup three man. Yeah. Really changes their backup roster a, a lot. You know, I mean, it, it really uh changes the character of their bench a lot. And then I think you know, once he got to the point where you weren't running offense through him, having him out there, especially during the regular season, he works better with the you know the starting yeah. unit really. But during the regular season, just it, 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 the spacing just becomes really tough. I think
2: that's why aesthetically, and it's also it's it's not like that. He's a ball stopper, but he's a ball stopper for good. He's a ball stopper who gives. Yeah, you it results. depends. I
1: mean, in the half court, sometimes I, I think. In the uh, when full court, when he's pushing the ball, I mean, he does provide like another bust out option, he's a good transition player, so but yeah, he is the a good half transition. court. I agree.
2: I remember him just being so so aces in transition in the uh 2015 finals run, yeah, that was a good uh, that was a good demonstration of that. But just aesthetically, not my favorite player, but it's funny to me that in all the conversation we've had about these guys, we didn't even talk about Livingston, who maybe is a candidate, uh, to have some drop off. Well, and um, he had a
1: big drop off last year too, and that yeah. famous mid range was not at the same level. Mm -hmm. Uh, But still a valuable defensive player. Oh, can Um, I clarify something real quick? Yes. I am very happy to discuss your child when he's like three. (laughs) There's just like like nothing, or maybe even two. Like when he actually starts talking and like doing stuff and you can tell me like cute stories. It's just when he's kind of into like sleeping feeding pooping stage yeah yeah like yeah. other than just like what hours he's Nate, sleeping Nate came not over
2: really Nate came over to my house he looked at my child like he was an inanimate object and I think he 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 sort of in his assessment on the depth chart right now we're looking at depth charts I think the inanimate object might be higher in the depth chart I, I, I just that was that 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 was at least the way I felt about it but I respect the take I respect Nate's honesty
1: and yeah actually uh my fiance was like a little mad at me that i like didn't spend enough time with the baby <laughs> you've got to see the baby look <laughs> that's fine he's a cute baby by the, As the way sco- speaking of depth charts i swear to god i could tell him apart from one of my other friend's babies who's also born in the spring i i, I could do that I, I i'm proud of you i
2: look at these depth charts i'm just looking uh, to be a wonderful father i'm just looking at this pacers depth chart and i'm thinking i like the over i don't know what the over
1: under is but i like the over yeah well we just did the review with uh jay michael who's awesome by the way he's a, a a very underrated uh, mm. writer. He, you should you should listen to that he, one.
2: He's so awesome that Nate actually, not to give too much away, texted me that he was awesome. That uh, was
1: texted about about how good he was on this preview. Um, yeah, uh, we actually got a lot of good Twitter comments on that. So I, if like you're, the, I I know people don't like to don't care about the Pacers and aren't going to listen to that one, but you know you should listen to
2: that. I just like the feel of this roster as I go as I go down it. I uh, I, I see over fifty wins for them. I'm just throwing that out there. But anyway, okay. uh,
1: yeah. Well, how many wins do you see for the mighty Golden State Warriors? This season, oh
2: brother. man, they scare me. I unlike you, I do buy into the don't give a shit factor and uh when I was talking in a I wrote an article on them and gambling, and maybe that will be what's on my mind, that they're a very difficult team to gamble on because yeah. they tend to either show up or not. They were terrible against the spread. I think they won maybe forty to forty one percent of their games against the spread. And it was a funny season last season because so too did the other finals team, uh the Cavs, who were also awful against the spread, especially at home. Um and I fear that factor. I said that I still don't like betting them, but I liked betting on them to reach their over because they played like a mid to high 60s wins team when they're reasonably healthy. And somebody left a comment. You know, they they went through uh other uh, other dynastic teams. I'm I'm looking at you know okay. I'll read this comment. This comment has scared me off. Uh, perhaps being a, yeah. Over-order. I think I know
1: where this guy's gonna be going here.
2: Okay, the comment from Chris R. Shout out Chris R. I see little evidence throughout uh, pro sports history of a dynastic team improving in the regular season in its fifth year. The Celtics peaked at a 78.7 winning percentage in their title season in 1960-61 and never topped that. The last three titles they won in the 1960s came after seasons in which they won 54, 54, and 48 games. Especially given how disinterested GSW was after the All-Star break last season, I am skeptical the team will have a different vibe this time around, and who expects Iguodala to even play 60 games? We'll see.
1: Yeah, and there are a number of other examples of that as well. Now, whether that's due to last of motivation. LOM is is the uh, the TLA that my uh, former Army buddies used for that. You know, oh. t- you know what TLA stands for? Um, no, but I like LOM. <laughs> uh, Three-letter acronym. Three-letter acronym. Oh, yeah. okay. That's nice. Because it's, it it's better so than TSA. But anyway. The continue. best jokes are the ones you have to explain. Mm. Uh, but in, in any event, yeah, so I think... Uh, You know, if you go back at those Lakers teams uh, in the 2000s, I think they actually won more in 2002. uh, But, you know, a lot of those teams just lose those games because they are now not as good as they were, right? I mean, the, whether it's that or it's lack of motivation, you know, but like the Jordan, the two Jordan three-peats, I think they've got 57 in 1993 and then they are 62 in 1998. Those are the mm-hmm. last the last year of each of the, of the, the three-peats. So, I, I mean, there, there's certainly a precedent for that, you know, the teams who go this long winning that many. But, I mean, I think they won 58 last year. I mean, it's all up to they they're, they're over they're over. Their yeah. over-under is
2: 62.5. Do you like the over or do you like the under?
1: Yeah. This is... Uh, I'm not making this officially yet because uh, mm. we do our own... our whole podcast. Ah. I mean, it's, it's all Curry's health. If he plays... 75 games. You don't, or, or you don't, 72 you don't games. get to know that, Nate. Well, no, I understand. I'm, j- I'm just going through the analysis. <laughs> you don't it's get more, to know that! It's more interesting when you describe the reasons for your pick and, you know, yeah. just try and talk y- it y- out y- and make a decision. Y- you have entertainment
2: all wrong, Nate. It's way more interesting to heedlessly make bold predictions buoyed by no information whatsoever. I mean, come on.
1: Well, well good thing this podcast isn't even remotely concerned with entertainment. Ah! It is, it, didn't you see, like, my little video? It's download as much information into your brain as possible. I love it. Okay, I'm going to predict 58 wins. Gonna, oh, so same as last year. Same as last year. That's my prediction. Yeah, so, and it's uh, it's all uh, all LOM for you, or how much, how much of that is? And Steph I'm going health? and
2: I'm going back. I'm going back on what I wrote, where I was predicting the over. And I'm, I'm this is just a hedge maze. It's the final scene of The Shining. I'm just hedging like crazy out here. Um, I think I have been convinced that this fifth year of dynastic teams, the LOM factor. I'm going with 58 games. I don't know about Steph's health. I'm just it's a shot in the dark. You know, I think Steph maybe just because they're going to be cautious that if he does get dinged up. He will miss significant chunks. Maybe I expect uh, 60 some odd games from Steph. That yeah. that'll be the prediction. Um and I predict 58 games, but I also predict a championship
1: at the end of it all. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you you would pencil him in for like 68 to 7. And I think if they get there, you know, so they're 40 and 10 in the game. Dude, of, if he's but playing but yeah.
2: if he's playing over 70 games, then I'm taking the over on that Vegas over under. I just don't have right. yeah. I don't have that kind of confidence. He his ankle gets hurt a lot. <laughs>
0: He tends well, to do I that. Well, I mean,
1: but, like, the the three seasons before this, he played the whole season, basically, right? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, I think that's it. And JaVale McGee falling into his knee, I mean, that was really what cost him a lot. He would have played 65 last year had it not true. been for the MCL at the end. True, true, true. I mean, that um, was, I, I suppose, you could call that
2: a freak injury. Uh, I don't like the term freak injury because yeah. things often have a logic um,
1: or a reason. Um, yeah, but although that was, like, right at the beginning of the game, so you can't even point to like fatigue or something like that. It, it seemed like it would have been very hard to get out of the way. Um, and, yeah. and, and Javale McGee does not make plays in a like normal, predictable no, way. That, that was that was awful do. by him, frankly. That was that was a terrible.
2: Uh, I, I felt badly for him, but it was also the type of thing that he would do—just completely reckless um, and oblivious. So, uh, but you know, if you're if you're looking for a candidate where they're going to get some wear and tear, and if they do get some wear and tear, the team is going to be. Exceedingly cautious. That would be Steph. So, um, yeah. I. But yeah, over seventy. I, I guess it's all. It's it's a mix. It's a mix of LOM and it's a yeah. mix of doubt uh,
1: about injury. So, well, I guess we. There's another way we can talk about it too. But let's look at it from this perspective. Steph played seventy games. They're forty and ten last year. So that's winning. You've got so, Demarcus. So that would, you've got that DeMarcus coming
2: at, in, coming back in the winter time. Although you're you're a little yeah. more circumspect. Yeah, than I, I think uh,
1: certainly in the beginning, I think he might actually hurt their rhythm. Uh, but you know, Steph. Plays 70 games. That would put them at winning uh, fifty six of those games, right? Uh, if they're at the same rate as the forty and ten mm-hmm. they went last year, so that's fifty six and fourteen in those seventy games. Yeah. So I think you know you're probably right there as far as you're but right it's on not the not Just about that's, Steph. You know.
2: said yourself that this team has had uh, some luck with injuries. Uh, how confident? Yeah. I mean, what if Draymond finally has an injury? You know, this, this improbable yeah. career. I actually that-
1: expect him to play better due to both the motivation and also not having the shoulder. Injury. I think that mm-hmm. that really plagued him last year. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, he's, what is he, 29 this year? So, yeah. you know, as an undersized player, maybe he's just, or just not capable of bringing it to the highest level. He certainly showed in the playoffs that he is the same guy, but, you know, maybe he just can't bring it all during the regular season anymore.
2: He, he's just never made sense to me. I, I don't understand how he's ever been able to do what he does uh, in the body that he has. So, I'm certainly not going to make any confident predictions, but um, you have to worry about that. Um, and so, Maybe you just price in that they they have a down year in terms of injuries again. Yeah, um, I
1: mean, I I think uh, I think I'll ultimately go with sixty two. Okay, uh, so be, so, because oh, sounds, it, it, and oh. maybe part of the reason for that too is you know you don't really see the upside of like higher than sixty five for this team. I mean unless they're like fighting against Houston again for home court advantage, I don't expect Houston to get to sixty five this year the way they did last year. I'm so. looking
2: at you put it into
1: the official the official document and I just wonder,
2: you know what? I shouldn't be hedging. There's nothing in it for me to hedge. I'm going 63. I'm going 63 above the over-under. Yeah. So did you just prices right me? Is that I just, just prices happened? righted you yeah. is what I did. I'm going 63. You know what? I'll pretend. I'll pretend that, Nate, you were so convincing when you were talking about the record in the stretch that Steph will
1: have, and that's what swayed me. So now it's 63 in the official what, what do you think they rank in uh in offense and defense here? That's a that's another way to think about it.
2: Oh, that's it. a that's a that's a good question.
1: Let's, I mean, so so let's, a year let's ago them... number 2 on offense uh, and uh, as we mentioned, number nine on defense—that's per cleaning the glass. Their stats are actually a lot different mm-hmm. than uh, the NBA sets because the, the Warriors. Well, isn't, so much isn't
2: isn't our call on them for the offense going to be dependent on what we think of the Rockets and whether the Rockets are going to experience
1: some friction? Um, oh, you mean it's just in terms of what they're going to rank? Because I mean, I don't think di- it ultimately matters whether mm-hmm. it's they're ranked one or two. It's just kind of more, mm-hmm. you know, how many how many points uh, above the league average are they? I mean, last year th- they still were second. They were just barely behind the Rockets. Okay, I'm and, gonna and I'm, you know again, this all goes back. I'm predicting.
2: To Steph, right? I'm predicting number one on offense. Uh, number one offense. Uh, number ten
1: defense. Um, and yeah, I'm number ten defense. That is low. That's L O M. Yeah. Well, if you think going to be number ten, I'd, but the thing is, if Steph plays, they could just be so good offensively that I, like that's, that's you know, my prediction. That. Number one on offense is like so much higher than average. My my prediction is
2: they're no longer. Uh, they're no longer uh, lugging around the albatross of playing uh, with Zaza, Petrulia, and that's going to free up their offense uh, it's going to loosen things up um, I, yeah. I, I, I think that that's that's my prediction, maybe they're going to uh, just play a little faster, a little freer and maybe because of that, because they know they can outscore teams, you're going to get uh, lax on defense and you're going to see the number 10 ranking on defense but it's still going to work out yeah. somehow magically that I hit my 63 ones. I mean
1: there is something to be said for the idea though that these young guys who they claim are going to be playing so much are probably all better defensively than they are on offense. Hmm. I mean, I think Jordan Bell is a positive offensive player. Oh, I agree, but he's still better at defensively. If you had to pick a side that he's better at, it would be that. But yeah, I, I agree. I think he's his offensive, his ability to make passes, finish well around the rim, get out in transition, get some alley-oops. You know, I think he is a positive offensive player. So if to answer my own question, I think you're probably better off going with the number one offensive. And, and part of that, too, to me is much as we might say these guys are a regression candidate, I would say Houston is probably even more of a regression candidate, both Mm. because of the getting Carmelo, and then also just, you know, Harden had such an unbelievable year last year. He's, you know, in the same age band as Curry and, and KD, and then, you know, Chris Paul in terms of games played and being 34, you know, that's another one where even Eric Gordon is in his, I mean, most of the guys they're relying on, Capella is really the only guy you would expect to be better this year than last year.
2: Finally, something occurred to me, something occurred to me and it, it connects to LOM and it probably, when you asked me the question, what have you been thinking about, and I didn't have anything for you, I have been thinking about this because to me it spoke to the LOM factor in a very specific way, which is just, it's funny to me that this team had a death lineup that that was fairly weak sauce in the regular season, but that was clearly about motivation because then in the playoffs it was just completely devastating.
1: Well, and that unit did not play together much at all mm-hmm. in the regular season, too. I mean, with between all the injuries, Steph being out, Andre missing games, you know, those... Uh,
2: I think Zaza was in their lineup that played far more than any other lineup.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I, I, and there is a good point, especially the way they started first quarters. Whoever they, uh, and maybe you can put some of that on Zaza, uh, but I, I think they're going to start games much better than they did last year. No matter, unless they're starting Damian Jones at center and maybe even if they start Damian Jones. Yeah. They, Cause Zaza is, as you mentioned, is really a, a big problem offensively.
2: I'm actually surprised that their numbers were as positive with Zaza as they were considering what it felt like. If we want to talk about aesthetics, it felt like, uh, when Homer was punished and was dragging the big, uh, big boulder. Um, you know, it was, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. But the prediction is freed up offense. Uh, uh, slothful, distracted defense. That's my prediction, anyway.
1: They're gonna win the championship. Yes. Yeah. Th- I mean, that would be my. They would be my single pick. As I said, though, I think. W- would you take them or the field?
2: Well, I would take them, and here's why I will counter you on the them or the field question uh, versus other years. At the very least, if they went to the finals in years past, they would be playing somebody who was experienced with the finals atmosphere, which is a completely different beast. And no, that's not just a cliche. Oh, whoever
1: comes out of these to me way better than than Cleveland was last.
2: They're gonna be way better than this Cleveland Cavaliers team. Don't I'm not I'm not disagreeing. And they'll with that. actually that team will actually have a prayer of defending them. They're going to be better, but I don't think they're going to handle the finals well. The finals is not it's not generally for teams where it's their first time. I think if you believe that they're going to uh if you believe in them against the field to get there, then you're going to have to be incredibly confident that they're going to win once there. I I I've just seen it. You get you get shell-shocked. It's a completely different environment. They change. Change the way you practice, you're now at the beck and call of the NBA and your all of your routines are disrupted. Um it doesn't I remember Luke Walton said, Yeah, you don't win when it's your first finals. I mean, I think we'll win, but you generally you generally don't. And it was a little touch and go for that particular team in 2015. So uh, for that reason, because the team out of the East will be newbies in the finals and will not have LeBron. You know, yeah, maybe they'll be a better team, but they won't have LeBron. I think I would take the Warriors against the field.
1: Uh, Rank, to me, the top five teams that you think they just will have the most trouble playing against. So I'll give you some candidates here just to set the universe. Mm -hmm. Philly, Boston, Toronto, Lakers... Houston, Utah, OKC. Yeah, I was. I was waiting for the Thunder. I
2: thought the Thunder were the team that immediately came to mind, um, just because I think we're probably going to get a better Thunder this season, and they are defensively, at least you know, when they don't have their their best defensive player. Just well, maybe he's not their best. I had them as worse, actually. By the way, you have them as worse. We're worried a little bit about the regression and health there. Ah, interesting. And total. Activity. I guess if you think Westbrook can't possibly continue to be Westbrook, that
1: would. Uh, that just the thing about Carmelo too he shot poorly but teams always guarded him because he was Carmelo Anthony mm. he, he could stand out by the three point arc and you at least had to guard him so I mean they were they ended up as the number 10 offense last year or actually no I think they were 7th so I think they might be worse but anyway this is not the OKC show I would put OKC probably last <laughs> wow teams. I think that Toronto and Boston Boston's could already... actually stop this Warriors team uh, like to, to, to some degree I and mean, Houston I, I, you
2: know they, look Boston's always given them trouble That yeah. that's certainly true um um Given some of their guys and the health issues involved in Boston, I don't exactly know what kind of season we're getting from Hayward. I don't know. I agree. Um yeah. with, with, with Kyrie Irving, you you always wonder if he's going to be there at the end. Um
1: yeah, so, and, and they may not be as strong defensively if if he's around as they were. And, and you know, I think it's
2: a games. real factor. I don't trust I don't trust first time finals teams. I, I, I don't trust it. So I think I'm casting the East to the side. I'm the boring answer is Houston and I'm going with Houston as the the top team to uh, to give them trouble, and uh, yeah. the Jazz, uh, I, I think, have to be in that particular mix. Um, I don't think the Jazz can score on them. Yeah, probably not. You don't. You don't believe in a in a big leap for Donovan Mitchell. You just don't think it matters. Even,
1: even so, I just think that there it's going to be too much. There's there's too many guys you can help off of. I mean, it's not. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, and, and the Lakers. I don't know. I, I still I don't know what to think. I'm not.
2: I'm not really taking the Laker threat seriously. Maybe I should. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just. I'm just not at this juncture. Um. I I might be wrong to do so. Maybe we'll see absolute flourishing from a few of the young guys on on that team. But I just don't think. I don't even think that's their aspiration. So I think there's a legitimate question as to whether the Lakers are a top six team in that conference. Um,
1: uh, oh, I, I agree with you, but and also there's a legitimate question about whether LeBron can still be you know the absolute best player in the game. He's got to fall off even offensively at some point. I mean, 34 like that is with all he's doing this summer. That's not
2: basketball. I mean, that's again hard hard to gauge. And what were the, what were the other teams? I think did you bring up the Timberwolves? Was that a team that you brought? No, up? I didn't. Yeah, uh, they're not
1: they're not worth thinking about. I don't think. Uh, what were yeah, the other? So, so I, I agree. There, with do, probably Houston is the safest bet here, but yeah, uh, Philly was the
2: other one. Oh, Philly, yeah.
1: Well, I think the Warriors can handle Philly pretty well. I, I mean, don't think they're worried about like Joel Embiid posting up. Philly's got that Ben Simmons has too many weaknesses. Th- well, like, they just but, have too many weaknesses. That's the issue. That's the problem for Philly.
2: Philly's got that weaknesses. problem of that's the thing you don't want in the playoffs. You don't want a guy who can't shoot to use a double negative. And yeah, uh, the Warriors have have been a team to exploit such weaknesses. So yeah, it's not a double negative. Uh, you don't want somebody who can't. Yeah,
1: that's not. It's not. Not a double negative in like the classic sense. I in the guess.
2: classic, th- in the classic. Yeah, sense.
1: you would you would say like a double negative would be like it's not not a double negative.
2: <laughs> that's what you would say. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, I'm casting the East aside. They're they bright eyed, they're, they're, they're bushy tailed. I
1: don't. But think what they about uh, what about Toronto uh, as a team that's experienced a lot of pain? Um, uh, well, I, like Kawhi is someone they've never had an answer for, uh, even at the best of times.
2: I don't I don't know if that's true. I, I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think he, Kawhi's had some success against them, but I I don't. Know if that success was. Yeah, yeah I'm not saying they
1: wouldn't have found one, but it, yeah. just based on usually he's he scores pretty well. Uh, I now, remember actually, dominating, KD KD might be that. Answer, yeah, K- KD, KD has, actually defends. He's defend right well.
2: he's defended Kawhi quite, quite well, and I remember Kawhi just eating Harrison Barnes like a Venus flytrap. But those days are yeah. those days are over. Um, it's so hard to know what you're getting out of that situation with with Kawhi specifically. I know uh, their their medical guy has a very good reputation, as I'm sure uh, Warren Leggett Gary would tell me, Um, Warren guy. Uh, But he has got a great reputation. Uh, The Scottish guy, Alex... Alex
1: Alex McKechnie.
2: Yes, Alex McKechnie. What a name. Um, So perhaps that will be... Uh, th- that will be key in the relationship with Kawhi, with that team going forward. Um, and they certainly have a lot of talent, uh, but I, man, I just, I just don't know. I mean, how, how confident can you be? How confident can you be? I, mean, I just in think this... they
1: could, they could put some lineups out there that could stop Golden State.
2: Yeah, potentially. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's your, that's your top East team threat or is it the Celtics? Oh,
1: probably Boston, but I I want to see what I'm going Hayward with, and Kyrie look like in the preseason.
2: I'm going with Boston. They've just yeah. given the Warriors such trouble. No, I agree, with, and
1: and the offense. I think I don't think Toronto could score on the Warriors. Mm-hmm. I think that would ultimately. Um. All right, we can wrap this up here though. Uh. Thank you so much for joining us. Subscribe to the Athletic. Oh, Ethan actually learn. just wrote about baseball, and I read it. It's <laughs> The only baseball article I'm ever going to read. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was actually good because he's a good writer and he's my friend, and so I I read it. But uh, yeah, so you. Should subscribe to The Athletic uh, for sure and uh, follow Matt Sherwood Strauss and uh if there's anything else you want to plug because I did an inadequate job that now is the time. Um
2: I will be coming back with more House of Strauss podcasts in the future. Uh hopefully not just Warriors Wednesday, but topics where we try to make something of uh, an audio article. So uh yes, that 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 is my plug, Nate. Thank you.
1: So some of our listeners ...could probably really benefit from a personal loan. And Lending Club gives you access to low rates on loans of up to $40,000 for almost any purpose. It's a lot easier than going to a bank. Offers lower rates than putting something on your credit card. You go to LendingClub.com, you enter the amount you need and see if you approved it in minutes. So... Whether it's unexpected repairs, medical expenses, maybe a little remodeling on your house, getting out of credit card debt and consolidating to something that is more reasonable, you can get that at LendingClub.com. They've been operating for more than 10 years and they've helped millions of people with now over $31 billion in loans. You can take charge of your finances today with Lending Club. The URL for them, LendingClub.com slash lets you check your rate for free and checking your rate won't impact your credit score. That's LendingClub.com slash cap space easy to remember we talk about cap space all the time in the program lending club.com slash cap space all loans made by web bank member fdic equal housing lender and let them know with that slash cap space url that you came from us so let's bring in spencer percy now has done a great job for us the last few years doing this hornets preview he's with queencityhoops.com also has uh his own hornets pod BuzzBeat radio so i think the, the thing to talk about which you know it seems like we hit on this every year uh when we talk about how good these guys were last year is they totally uh, underperformed Wow, it was early in the morning underperformed their point differential yet again this season
3: yeah uh no doubt they did and first of all nate thanks for having me back on um always appreciate it i know that previewing the charlotte hornets is not an annual tradition everyone gets excited about but I'm happy to be here to uh, to do it. So <laughs> well, I appreciate hey,
1: you. Having... The nonsense. It's uh, <laughs> I guess. Although I guess they're uh, since 2016, it's kind of been the same team, which you know might make things. But uh, you yeah, know, we, we uh, th- that 2016 team was pretty fun. So you never know when they could break out.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, you laid it out there, you know, a minute ago. One, once again, you know, the point differential. This year was it was a wash, you know, even, but you know, vastly underperforming, you know, underperforming what that point differential would tell you they should. Uh, second year in a row, so you know that is disappointing. But you know, looking back at last year's team, all the exam, I mean, all the reasons are, are really pretty obvious to me. Um, you know, I thought it started with Dwight Howard. I know the numbers didn't look that terrible, but um, if you watch basketball consistently and, and you watch the Hornets at all last year during that eighty-two game stretch. Uh, Dwight Howard did not make them a better team on either end of the floor, in my opinion, and I I think he he really changed everything that had been built offensively and defensively around Kimball Walker um, by Steve Clifford, you know, really dating back to 2013, you know, when he came in. Um, So I thought that was really disappointing. And I don't want to turn this into like, you know, crap on Dwight uh, fest, which I could, but uh, I really do think it starts with him. I think he he set the culture um, down the wrong path. And, and I think they had done a good job of putting in a pretty good place prior to last year.
1: Yeah, well, it, now you don't have to complain about it anymore because he is a, on another team, although at a, a pretty great cost um, what I want to talk about first here is probably their biggest addition at least in terms of this year is a new coach uh, James Borrego I don't remember a ton about him frankly from his stint in Orlando as an interim coach I didn't think that you know much really seemed to change under him but he obviously was in a difficult situation there uh, what is the word on like how things are going to change in this system under Borrego because you knew what you were getting under Steve Clifford most of the time you are going to get a team that defensive rebounded probably didn't force a lot of turnovers didn't foul uh and then that at least tried to take some of the right shots on offense although as you mentioned i think the the presence of howard hurt that a little bit uh, last year but how are things supposed to change under james forego
3: yeah i mean i think the offense is going to look much much different um you know the hornets last season last in corner three attempts um seventh in mid-range attempts you mean their shot selection under steve clifford was just really never uh Never great, um, you know. I think they had a system. It was, it, it's been a lot of pick and roll with Kimba, but you know, I think I think you're going to see this team under Borrego, spread the floor more, try to play more in transition. I mean, these are things that he's really talked about. And obviously, you look at a culture and a system like San Antonio, it's pretty clear he's going to try to, you know, implement a lot of those ideas um, into Charlotte. You know, defensively, I think they're going to be sound. I I would not imagine that you're going to see, you know, a whole lot change in terms of, like when Steve Clifford had his best defensive teams in Charlotte, really almost perennial top 10, his first three seasons as head coach. You know, I think that's something that's attainable um for charlotte under under borrego i think it might be a little bit more of an aggressive scheme trying to speed the game up whereas clifford's was much a a very much a you know sit back on the pick and roll keep everything in front of you let's defensive rebound let's value the ball that kind of stuff um but, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, picture San Antonio. You know, they are aggressive defensively. They're sound. They're always in the right spot. And then offensively, they spread it out. They share it. They move it. Dribble drive, kick. So, you know, I think that's kind of the uh, the general idea of what Briga would like to implement uh, for the Hornets. Yeah, and
1: you'd hope that the, that could be a coaching upgrade. I mean, do, do you think that you know Clifford is someone who we were really excited about uh, what he was able to do, obviously, coming in in 13-14, taking the team into the playoffs center around, al jefferson that 48 win team back in 2016 but they had struggled the last couple of years was it and then he he had the health issues obviously last year also was it just kind of time to move on because it's the only thing you could change with this team
3: basically since uh you know the rest of the roster is locked in at this point yeah, I mean, I you know, I think it started with, like, the Rich Cho, you know, final year in his deal, and I think looking back, you know, the Dwight Howard trade was, you know, maybe to me a little bit of a desperation, like, hey, here's my last shot, I gotta try to save my job, let's see if I can reunite Dwight and Steve Clifford, and, uh, you know, and turn this into a 48-win team, and bring back the magic of fourteen, fifteen, Um But, you know, that wasn't the case. And I think once it was pretty, the writing was on the wall that, hey, Rich Joe is not going to be retained. Um, you know, I think that goes on anywhere. You bring in a new GM, very... Uh, and most of the time that head coach is is not retained. And uh man, when Kupchak came in, he, he really um, set a fire <laughs> to everything that Charlotte had. I mean, every I mean, almost everyone that was in place infrastructurally uh, from the head coach down to the training staff. I mean, a lot of people got let go. So, um, you know, I think that's really where it started, like you said. When Cupchak came in, he was like, there's not much you can do with this roster, but I can change the coach. I can tear it down without really tearing down the roster, and let's start to build a new culture. And obviously, that's what Borrego uh, represents. But look, like I was a Steve Clifford guy. I appreciated uh, how much of a player's coach he was. Uh, I think guys love playing for Steve Clifford. Um, but I do think that some of his uh, ideas in terms of maybe just philosophy, X's and O's, is a little bit set back in time. Um, not Tom Thibodeau-esque, but... But, I mean, he's got some tendencies that I think that he should be more open-minded about as a coach, especially offensively. Um, And, yeah, when when the new GM came in, you know, he just wasn't going to be retained.
1: So let's talk about some of the new additions to this roster. Uh, They brought in Miles Bridges, drafted number 12. What did you think of that pick compared to who else was available around that
3: time? I don't think there was too many decisions to be made at that point in the draft. I mean I, I like the Miles pick. Two weeks out I kinda uh two weeks out from the draft I kinda had it set in my mind. That's who I wanted Charlotte to take at eleven and um you know, you can make your argument for Shea Gilgis Alexander. I know he had a great uh, summer league. That's probably the only guy um, you know, drafted in that area uh, that I would say, OK, you know, we can have a debate about that. But, you know, I think Miles is ready to play now. Um, you know, he's a little bit undersized if you think he's going to play a little bit of power forward in the league. But God, that guy is strong. Um, he's a good competitor. He has the chance to be a good defender when you watch him physically. He's yeah. got a lot of tools, uh, but he's a little lost out there mentally right now. But he's got a chance to to develop into a good defender. And then offensively, I think it's just like, all right, is he going to be able to knock down an outside shot consistently um i think he's got a little bit of wiggle with the ball in his hands probably more so than people realize and uh look like that guy can catch it in like the short corner area the pinch post area and he's going to be able to bully a lot of guys to the rim um so i think there's stuff he can bring offensively right away um but yeah i I don't know defensively is really the question mark you know is he going to have is he going to be focused enough is he going to be able to think the game quickly enough uh, to be successful on that end in the nba um you know, and the thing with Miles is like, where do his minutes come from? You know, the Horns have a little bit of a logjam, uh, actually, a, a lot of a logjam at that small forward, power four position. So it's kind of hard to look down the roster and say, I mean, can we get him 10 minutes a night? Um, that That's the one issue with Miles right now on this roster, probably.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they always say you can never have uh, too many wings, but yeah, especially if he's going to be making mistakes, you know, Borrego coming out of that Spurs culture is not going to be too interested in having that happen. I, I mean, I think the three ball is going to be interesting I think he was 6 out of 30 from downtown in Summer League and didn't quite look comfortable with the NBA line. So we'll see. I mean, I I would predict, you know, he's going to struggle from downtown and and that that's going to be tough for him to find a niche uh, offensively in this first season. But, you know, he he was drafted as a pretty young guy, not necessarily for contributing this season, which I think is a good sign for this Hornets team because they have made a lot of short-term focus moves at this point. Uh, Don't have to spend a ton of the time uh, on Devonte Graham I thought he actually looked pretty good in summer league uh, before he was shut down with what the team called a a uh, condylar lesion but I, I I thought he showed something and then uh, uh, the big addition that uh, won the press conference if maybe not some games uh is uh Tony Parker this year what do you mm-hmm. think of his addition
3: uh, you know I I'm shocked he left San Antonio um you know obviously there's the James Brego connection you know there's the Nick Batum connection uh Parker and Batum are very close being both being from France, um, playing on the national team a lot. Uh, I mean, I think that it makes sense. I mean, when you look at like what the Hornets have been dealing with at the backup point guard position, um, you know, dating back to when Jeremy Lin was in Charlotte, it's been a barren cupboard. You know, Ramon Sessions, Michael Carter-Williams. I mean, there's there's literally been nothing behind Kimball Walker uh, for for over two seasons now. So you got to think, hey, here's a Tony Parker, four-time NBA champion. Um, if he can give us at, what is he, 36, 37, yeah, 30, you know, one of those. 36 years old if if he can give us 55 to 60 games uh and be able to play 15 to 20 minutes a night um that's pretty good and you got to think that it's going to make the second unit better immediately um you know obviously with parker he's getting five million guaranteed next year it was originally reported as just $10 million two years, I thought if it's $10 million flat for two years, that's probably not a great bet uh, on a 36-, 37-year-old. But um, but the fact that it's not guaranteed on the second, I think, makes this a, a really logical move for the Hornets. You know, Shabazz Napier was out there. We don't know if he would have come to Charlotte. That's the only other guy on the market at that point. I would have said, eh, probably rather have him. But, you know, when you look at what the second year is on the, on the contract for Parker, I think that's a win for the Hornets. I really do yeah we'll see i
1: mean parker uh, under 500 true shooting in san antonio uh, after his return last year uh although uh, with the spacing he was working with in san antonio he'll actually uh, have a lot more space in, in charlotte uh, amazingly you would think of, with most of the units he's playing with he's going to play with kaminsky off the bench Hernan gomez uh, has been able to stretch it out to three so they might actually give him a little bit more room to work but of course he is coming off of that torn quad tendon which i don't know if you knew this but is a uh, hundred times worse than what Kawhi Leonard, uh was dealing with but uh, <laughs> but yeah i mean I, I think in terms of why he went you know I, i'm just not sure that san antonio was offering him much more than the minimum uh and you know charlotte obviously offered the five million th- this year but you know, i mean it, the history of kind of these franchise icon types going somewhere for one last hurrah in their mid to late 30s is isn't amazing although it would be difficult for parker to give them less than michael carter williams did uh, last right year. I, I was shocked actually that carter williams had only a negative -3.2 net rating uh because i i thought that he was uh, could be I, I was, a lot worse i was
3: I, I was looking that up this morning i thought it was i couldn't remember what the number was uh, as i was kind of doing some prep for this and i looked and i said only -3.2 that actually shocks me i thought it was below 5 but uh but yeah and with parker too you know something that's really important maybe we'll talk about it a little later as well but is obviously the development of Malik Monk for the Hornets and you know if you go ahead and assume that Monk's coming off the bench in some role. Um, You know, him playing with Tony Parker is, is a pretty attractive idea. I mean, there's only a few guys in the league that you're going to bring off the bench to run your second unit that make the game, I think, just drastically easier on on the rest of the guys on their squad offensively uh, than Tony Parker. And so, just uh, thinking about that idea, I think there's a really good chance Monk develops and, and takes a step forward if both of those players are able to play, let's say, 60 games together. You know, it's going to help Monk, in my opinion, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and Monk did have a disastrous net rating last year, negative 12.2. Uh, did it? Was he used that much at? Point- point guard last year i mean it seemed like they didn't have anyone else once carter williams went down he only right. played 52 games so i mean did they and i know he, he started the year kind of slowly with that sprint angle came on in the, you know the tank fest at the end of the year uh but it, were they just using him at
3: point guard uh, am i just forgetting that i thought he was used mostly at shooting guard he, he was i'd have to i don't have like the basketball reference positional breakdown right in front of me but he definitely had to run minutes at point guard last year um, you know, in the middle of the season, that stretch a lot more than obviously the team Steve Clifford would have desired. Because uh, to your point, I mean, it was it was pretty obviously early, pretty obvious early on that Carter Williams is really not going to be able to give anything uh, in terms of a backup point guard uh, role to this to this roster. So Mont got his shots there. Um, it, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't good. I mean, he just he showed no competency to be to run an offense or or, or find the second man on the weak side. Uh, anything in terms of a distributor last season, like you said, it, you know he's a, he's a microwave scorer kind of guy. He sees one go in, he's going to chuck two more within the next three possessions. Just kind of kind of player he is. Um, so he really needs he really needs to be locked into that shooting guard position moving forward. I think um and needs to play with a point guard who's who's going to make the game easier and i I think parker's definitely going to help that
1: yeah so i i got the stat here 45 percent of his minutes at point guard negative 17.1 net rating in those minutes and not much better when he was at shooting guard negative 9.5 so yeah that that was a big problem and something that i probably should have focused on more frankly that you know but it it had already been so bad with carter williams that you know I, i was i didn't capture even how much worse it got with monk at point guard so again, you know, a lot of that was late in the season when they really, you know, were, were kind of not trying to win anymore. It was apparent. I mean, that, that they were going to be, you know, eight to ten games behind
3: the, the playoff race. Uh,
1: oh, Bisbeck Bianco is back. You guys got to be excited about that.
3: <laughs> um, I, I, it, it's pretty amazing if you go back and do a little revisionist history of how we arrived at this point like it's just the ghost of the miles plumley contract um <laughs> just remains it's just been like an exchanging of goods all the way down to Bismack. I mean, that dates back to, like, before Bismack went to Toronto. It's I, it's unbelievable. I mean, it is,
1: it's incredible that, you know, of the worst contracts signed in the summer of 2016, the Hornets, at one point or another, have had four of them on the roster, but they didn't actually start any of them in the summer, start by signing any of them. They traded for Plumlee, and then they have had turned him into Howard, and then Moscow, and then immediately Bianco. I mean, it's, uh, you know, who's going to be next here? Evan
3: Turner, uh, you know it's it's uh um yeah it's just like Jan can Mihimi? we just finally I mean, yeah. he would be, can we just finally let yeah. the money die can we just, can we just let the dead <laughs> money die instead of taking <laughs> on more dead money like i, I just it's unbelievable it, it really is but hey you know biz is back and i will say this about biz he does give the hornets um <laughs> albeit for 17 million dollars he does give them uh some competency if cody zeller's let's say you know gets hurt again and only plays 45 games or something you know Hernan gomez and biz all right that's a those are two guys who were still young players, albeit you look at some of the stats from Biz in the last few years, and you're like, well, he's one of the worst rotational centers literally in the league. I still have a little bit of belief in him. Um, and, and when you look at what the Hornets had really behind Howard and an injured Zeller last season, I mean, it was, it was literally nothing. So um, the fact that they have three centers who I kind of believe in is a little bit reassuring. But, I mean, the price tag they're getting and, and taking on an extra year of biz is, is pretty is definitely a head-scratcher
1: yeah th- that was a I mean it was to get them out of the tax but then of course because Howard ended up buying out for five million less than uh what he had on his contract this year and going to the Wizards you know they really only ended up saving based off of that you know two three million uh so, right. so and then taking on 16 million for next year was uh it was pretty rough um I
3: will I yeah. will say because I have defended that trade a little bit more than most so, yeah. you know I will say that Devonte Graham came to Charlotte, and I, I'm kind of a believer in Devonte Graham. I, um, I really forward.
1: liked what he did in summer league. I, I was I was of those three point guards who were drafted 32 through 34. I I thought he was the best of them.
3: Yeah, when he was on the floor, he was it, it was pretty obvious he was the most ready of anyone on the floor. Really, in most of the games that Charlotte played in summer league, uh, very smart basketball player. So he came to Charlotte, you know, via the, the Howard trade and then um in this trade exception that's almost 8 million dollars you know Mitch Kupchak is has made it clear, he, his statement earlier in the summer that the team is intends to use that. So, like, I'm a little bit in wait and see mode until if that happens, what kind of player the Hornets are, are able to add, uh, and if they're in the play if they're in playoff contention, and that helps. Um, I think next season, looking back, then we can maybe say, okay, the Howard trade made a little bit more sense because of what the Hornets were able to do with a trade exception, albeit not a team building tool that. Many teams really utilize anymore, but you know, eight million dollars. I mean, that's that's a decent trade exception,
1: yeah. Charlotte, as of now, they are below the tax by only 3.4 million so i would be surprised if uh much of that trade exception gets used uh you know maybe if they were able to move on for from somebody else who's a mid-tier contract maybe you know and i'm not sure who that might be that they could just dump into space you know maybe it would be like a jeremy lamb if he falls out of the rotation and bridges starts playing more um or you know maybe maybe uh it could be in a Kemper Walker trade if things don't go well for the Hornets this year I mean that's that's the other thing that's really hanging over this team all year you know we thought even last year that you know he could be the subject of, of trade rumors he was very unhappy with that he he gave a presser and that she said he really wanted to stay in Charlotte uh, Michael Jordan came out and said no he's not going to be traded he wasn't uh they cannot really extend him because he makes so little money at a market rate. So, I mean, do you think that he's just going to stay here all year uh, or might they look into moving him again if things don't go the way they want them to?
3: Yeah. I don't, with the, some of the comments he's making, um, you know, he, <laughs> I believe him when he say, says he wants to stay in Charlotte, but at the same time, what a great job by him and his camp to push all the cards over to Charlotte's side of the table and say, there's really no way I'm going to be the bad guy in this situation. Um, so I think if you're the team, that you have to try to bring him back, right? I, regardless of what happens this season. Um, he's really, really important to the franchise. Uh, the fans love him. He's all-time leading scorer in Charlotte Hornets history. I mean, I know that doesn't matter a lot nationally, but it does to a small market. I think you need to keep that kind of player. Well, I mean, well, well, you it, said
1: if I'm the team, I, I know what I would do if I were the team. But if the, yeah, if I would have traded
3: him at the deadline yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah if but they're,
1: uh, but the they're team not, they're, and, and they just uh, you know are like, oh, we can't, we can't take a step back, right? I mean, th- like, that's always the thinking on these, right? It's like, all right, we can't take a right. step back. Like we got to be in playoff contention. But the fact is, with him, he's going to be 29 this off season. Uh, you know, if you're going to keep him, especially because there are plenty of teams that are probably in a better long term fit for him than Charlotte is. So they're gonna have to probably overpay to keep him. You know, we're talking at least $25 million a year, you would right. think. And you know, for a guy who's pretty undersized, you know, uh I guess he's probably gonna take a little bit of a step back this year and then continue to do that through the natural aging process. I mean you can say oh we can't take a step back like we got to be in playoff contention. Well guess what like Charlotte you don't have a choice. Like there's no yeah. way out other than taking a step back and you know sad as it is to say hey we're gonna rebuild when the high that we reached was 48 wins you know that's pretty rough but they, I, there's no way around that i don't think unless you know miles bridges turns it into a big star so and that's not gonna be apparent i think for a while you know he's more of a, a complimentary piece even if he does work out so i i don't know what they're gonna do uh yeah and maybe you know if they're on track to 35 wins they'll just see the writing on the wall and he'll make it clear that you know behind the scenes he may not come back uh and you know they might get a first rounder
3: for him at this point but you know probably not an amazing one. You know. In in a situation like you just mentioned, like if 35 wins is kind of written on the wall for the team, which has been the exact last two seasons, like if we just run it back with that kind of inning, then, you know, would he do? I don't think he's going to give the league or, you know, the Hornets the option of like a two plus one or something like Kyle Lowry did, you know, like at a similar price tag and say, hey, uh, we'll we'll give you a two plus one at 30 mil a year, whatever it is. You get a player option on the third. uh, And then that takes that money up to when Batum comes off the books for the Hornets. So, it like lines up for when a restart would happen. But if you're Kimball Walker, um, you know, in two years, you're going to be above 30 years old. Like you're not, I don't think you're taking that contract right now, right? Like you're locking yeah. up four years somewhere else or you're locking up your max five in Charlotte probably yeah I would think so so who are some improvement
1: candidates uh on this team you talked about Monk I thought until he had that thumb injury it had an encouraging summer league how are you feeling about him going into this season sorry
3: you broke up a little bit there was that did you say Monk yeah yeah Malik Monk sorry about that um yeah I mean I I'm I'm bullish on Monk I have not you know I've not given up on him yet as a player um you know obviously I'm nervous with the the health issues last year, he just got out of the gates terribly. Um, Steve Clifford's obviously not known to give rookies a lot of minutes anyways, um, so he's kind of stuck in the doghouse. But, you know, again, I, I think Tony Parker's going to help him. Um, I think that he needs to focus on catch-and-shoot offense more often, uh, uh, less dribbling. He kind of has the uh, the Jeremy Lamb um learning curve here lamb used to just pound it pound it pound it take a terrible shot for his first three or four years in the league and he's finally kind of gotten over that that's what i worry with monk just make the game easier on yourself catch and shoot one or two dribbles get into your shot Um, so again I think Parker's going to help any way Charlotte can find to get Monk on the floor more with Kimba will also help when when those two shared the floor early last season Um, it, it was pretty special and Monk had some really good games earlier in the season so you know getting that duo more playing time I think is important but I mean, this is this is kind of it for, for Charlotte and this franchise and, and really th- this era of basketball. I mean, yes, it does start and end with Kimball Walker, but Malik Monk um, is very important for, for you know whatever this team is going to become over the next three to four years. Um, so it's probably, I would say among Hornets fans, his development this season is the most important storyline, uh, even more so than the Kimball one. Um for sure they
1: desperately need a a second score you know I mean it's really still unclear where that's going to come from you know Parker is a backup point guard at this point in time Bridges is too young uh if you are hoping that this team is going to develop I mean Monk is the only other guy really on the team who can create a shot out the drill but I think you know the hope was that he was that guy when he was signed to that big contract but really you know 18 percent usage for Batum last year really his ability to get to the rim never an enormous enormous strength of his uh, has deteriorated in the last couple of years so yeah I mean Monk is kind of there out uh, as far as getting this team to be a a good offense but you know that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy who wasn't too effective last year and and really you know as you noted was pretty reliant on very difficult jumpers he only took 14 percent of his shots at the rim although he is capable of uncorking some pretty spectacular dunks at times
3: yeah I mean and that's the other thing is athleticism you know how how does Borrego um unlock some of that you know, he can get to the rim and, and really when he has a head of steam and is able to elevate, you know, I think he can be a pretty effective player for his size um, at finishing at the rim and, and and getting to the free throw line more often. So, um, you know, I think that's the, the, a lot of the idea with the transition to, you know, you, you want Monk running the wing. Um, a lot like he did at Kentucky. I mean, you go back and watch that 47-point outburst against Carolina during his freshman season, so much of that game and so much of his offensive efficiency came in transition. So, you know, I think that can really, really help him as a player. Um, But I'm hopeful and nervous at the same time because, like I said, this is an enormous year for Malik Monk
1: where's cody zeller right now he he's been a bellwether for this team at times two years ago the famous stat they were three and 17 when he didn't play the hope was that he could come off the bench but then he really has been struggling with knee injuries uh, these last three years or so now uh, is he healthy and what do you expect from him
3: this season if he is Sounds like he's healthy um you know I'm I'm real happy that Cody Zeller is going to be back in the starting lineup and you know he and Kimba have been just a terror squad together um you know when those two have started together and, and minutes together in Charlotte's last playoff season when they won 48 games you know those two had a, a net rating of like plus 8.2 or something uh that season so you know the offensively He's a great screen setter. He makes the game so much easier on Kimba. Um, You know, Zeller doesn't have any of the physical intangibles that make, you know, the great centers, even in today's modern day NBA game. But he makes the right play all the time. Um, you know he, he protects the rim by being vertical with both arms up uh, you know every time he's contesting something he's just a very sound basketball player who's been really really effective for the Hornets when he's healthy but that that really is the key um, you know I think the benchmark for him is 65 games if, if Hornets if the Hornets get 65 healthy games out of Cody Zeller this season I, I do believe there's a good chance this team could win close to 45 games. I mean, they've been that good when he's been healthy out there with Kimba. So, um, but that's the key, health.
1: Yeah, and even last year, they did not share the court much with Zeller in a bench role uh, and also struggling with injuries, but plus 6.8 net rating when those two were on the floor uh, again last season. So maybe that is something that they can get uh, something out of. Uh, Another guy I wanted to talk to you about is Michael K. Gilchrist, a guy who really seemed to be up and coming a a few years ago uh, when defensive wings really came into vogue the hope is that he could stretch out to three I think he basically took like zero three point times last season it seems like they've just given up on on the idea of him ever shooting a three you know his mid-ranger is acceptable uh but is he just kind of not really in this team's plans that much anymore at this point I mean it seems like he's just fallen off of the radar of any kind of conversation at this point
3: I mean yeah after the miles draft pick I, I just I don't know like his minutes have to go down they have to. His role has to be decreased here. Um and then when you you know you try to slot Jeremy Lamb in there somewhere in the lineup, I think he deserves more minutes. Um so MKG does kind of seem like the uh the odd man out, if you will. Um I don't think that's really a tr- I mean I have no idea what the value is for MKG out there. I don't think his contract is tradable. Um you know, although he's got only one more after after this one for 13 million. Um, he does. He it seems that the Hornets uh, should pick up the phone and try to at least figure out what the market is for him. Um, because I just don't know where his minutes come from. And uh, you know, as everyone knows, like MKG, you just can't like slot him into any lineup. You have to play him around. You know, a spacier center. Uh, or if you want to get really weird, you, you play him as the center. And maybe Barrego will try stuff like that. Um, and get creative. But uh, but yeah, in, in any kind of traditional lineup, I mean, MKG is just. He's, he's he's expendable, so they gotta have they gotta find a role for him. You know, I like Hernan Gomez uh, coming off the bench as the as the second uh, center here, and and I think that kind of what he showed us, he got up like three and a half threes a game in summer league. So if he's able to translate that into to next season, okay, a guy like MKG kind of fits better in, in that kind of offensive system but um yeah I'm, I'm very curious to see how he's used and what his minutes are because I don't really think anybody can get a feel for for what that role looks like uh moving forward in Charlotte yeah and you know he's someone who
1: just it seems like he just hasn't developed you know over the last three or four years you know if if anything I think you know maybe his defense has taken a step back and you know he had that shoulder injury in 15-16 which I think you know was kind of a watershed moment for him and and he wasn't really able to build on his career after suffering that. Um, so, what do you see as the crunch time lineup here that Barrego is going to go to? Actually, you know what? Here, let's take a quick break for an ad, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about that. Cool. All right. So, obviously, Walker is going to be in the crunch time lineup. You imagine if he's healthy, Zeller probably is. Batum, it probably is uh, as well. You know, he's uh, and hopefully he's healthy now after struggling with that elbow injury for much of last season. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of in flux beyond those three guys to me
3: um yeah I, I would agree i mean I think it shooting guard you know certainly the hope would be that you can get Malik monk out there um and, and you can survive defensively with him on the floor. You know, in crunch time, you certainly kind of behoove yourself to have him out there offensively. I think the other guy shooting guard, though, is Lamb. You know, that's probably who I would give the nod to uh, going into the season to get those crunch time shooting guard lineups. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people actually realize um, how much better Jeremy Lamb was last season on really a, I mean, an awful second unit. Um, his numbers are pretty efficient, and um, he really took a step forward to me. I would give the nod to him. A shooting guard and then a power forward, Um I think it's Marvin. I mean, at least for now, Uh, you know, if Miles Bridges comes out of the gate and is, you know, a world beater, then sure, maybe you can bite hard and give him those crunch time minutes. But I I think it has to be Marvin Williams, just as a floor spacer, a guy that you just can count on to be in the right spot defensively. Um, And, you know, if he can knock down shot, I mean, he was a 40 percent three point shooter, uh, excuse me, above that, like 43 from the corners last season. So sneakily had an efficient year shooting the ball. I, I would say it's. Kimball Lamb, Batum, Marvin Zeller. If I'm uh, guessing to start the season,
1: yeah, that's interesting. That I mean, I guess you know I'm looking at the Roto World depth chart. They think that Jeremy Lamb is the, is the starter at shooting guard right now. Because I mean, in the past, it's really been Batum playing more at the two, MKG at the three, and Marvin at the four. But you think there's just no chance MKG is
3: is going to start this year? In terms of starting lineups, I, I do think it'll be the traditional lineup at yeah. least to start the season. Then it has been. Yeah, I think MKG will, or started small forward I think Batum will start a shooting guard and and Marvin will be at the four Um, but yeah I I think there's no way MKG's ending games I I don't see that being um, a Borrego kind of lineup but but like I said unless they want to give him minutes at five you know or something like that And and if Cody Zeller were to go down for extended time maybe they try stuff like that but Uh, Yeah, I don't see him out there to end the game. I really don't.
1: Yeah, and Marvin Williams, you know, I I think he's actually his performance has probably held up better than I expected when he signed that four-year, fifty-four million dollar deal in the summer of twenty sixteen. You know, I I think he is, uh, you know, still shooting the ball really well, but he's at an age, a lot of miles uh, on his body after being drafted number two overall back in two thousand five. So amazing to think about uh, that he's been in the league that long, but. Uh, You know, he he could fall off at at any time and then, you know, I mean, the, there's also uh you know one guy we haven't talked about here is Frank Kaminsky uh you know he's been a a player of some debate here but it was he did take a step forward in terms of actually hitting his threes he was 38 last year are they gonna get anything out of him or is he just still sort of stopgap you know second unit four man maybe a five in in smaller lineup
3: yeah I think he's that stopgap guy uh you just mentioned I, I'm just um not a frank believer I think he just is what he is at this point um he can't guard fours. He can't guard fives. Um, you know, he was a little bit he was a little bit better shooting the ball last season, but still, you know, not even average for what his really positional makeup should be a, a stretch four, I guess, if you will. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, are, are we sure that Frank Kaminsky like even in the NBA next season? I mean, that, that I think it could be something bad like that for him um you know the idea of him made made sense originally um didn't make sense when you consider that the Hornets were offered four future first round draft picks but um just as that stretch five uh it, it did make sense originally but um but man defensively he is just such a lost cause uh and offensively he just doesn't bring enough so he's, he's really been a net negative for his entire career at this point and I just I don't I don't see a world in, in really which that changes
1: yeah I mean I, I didn't even think he made that much sense to begin with frankly but just because he you know you just never could see how it was going to work for him defensively like if he couldn't be good enough at center then you know I mean he, he, like best case scenario is going to be like a Ryan Anderson and people are always like oh Ryan Anderson like that's actually not that bad but you know Ryan Anderson is you know one of the best shooting stretch fours ever he's bombing from 30 feet you know and, and actually hitting 40% out there you know in a way that uh Kaminsky has not been able to do and and few players of that ilk are able to do what do you see as the major strengths of of this team
3: yeah I mean I think that the defense should return to form um you know they were a top 10 defense for most seasons under Clifford I think that the expectation should be that now plug Zeller back in um, you're able to do some play more aggressive styles of defense. I, I think that's going to be better. Um, I think they're still going to be a good rebounding team, uh, but you know, it's just it's really hard to tell um, what will be their greatest strengths. And when I think about it, outside of defense, uh, just because I think they're going to look a lot different in terms of style, and I do think they're going to try to play a lot faster. Um, so, I mean, I think transition. I mean, you, you have the pieces to be a good transition basketball team in terms of personnel. But now can you really adopt that style, um, you know, and can you commit to it? Uh, and if they're able to do that, you know, yeah, sure. A, a team with a starting point guard, of uh, Kimball Walker, um, and a guy like Malik Monk. I mean, yeah, you can picture that team being a, you know, top five most efficient team in transition and they were last year they were they were fourth in the league uh in transition or excuse me fifth in the league in transition efficiency but they were 18th in chances so you know if, if they can get that um you know frequency volume number into the top 10 you know i think they can really uh hurt their opponent in transition so i would say defense in transition probably you
1: know it's Again, I'm always shocked by this every year when we do this of how high Charlotte rated in offense. They were 10th last season, which, when you look at this personnel that they had on the team, is pretty darn impressive. But then, you know, and I think probably a big part of the reason why I'm always surprised at how high they rank is because you you look at the scores on this team and it's not that good. And in fact, they were 24th in the NBA in e field goal percentage at 51.2%, but third in avoiding Mm -hmm. turnovers. And in part, due to Howard this is the one thing about Howard they probably will miss uh getting to the foul line and at least Howard would help you know they would foul him a lot and he wasn't the greatest free throw shooter but at least he would get other teams into the bonus and there are other players who, who could uh benefit from that and then you know their middle of the pack offensive rebounding team I would expect that to go down quite a bit this year there's really uh, other than Biombo. I guess uh, Hernan Gomez is an okay offensive rebounder but you know I'd expect them to be in the bottom 10 or so in offensive rebounding this year so but now Borrego coming from that Spurs system they like to avoid turnovers uh, as well but Clifford was so good at helping them avoid turnovers that you have to imagine there's got to be some regression there uh, uh, and then you wonder about all right well where is the improvement going to come from to maintain that 10th and then also you know so much of that is built on what Kemba Walker is able to do if he takes a little bit of a step back here as a you know probably under six foot point guard in his late 20s you know that could be a a regression too I agree with you I think the defense can be better I think that moving on from Howard is going to help if they if they can get a full season from Zeller if they can't get a full season from Zeller you know I'm very worried about this team's defense as well
3: yeah I would agree with that I mean (laughs) Hernan Gomez is got a long way to go defensively still um and you know, Biombo, you can trot him out there. You can kind of hold your head above water defensively, but then you know you're, you're obviously not getting anything on the other end from him. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this team's at uh, prospects defensively. Uh, last year it was just all Dwight Howard sitting low on the pick and roll, Kimba Walker having to fight over top. And now the point guard's got all the space in the world as, as Dwight <laughs> flails his arms around, faking to uh, per, per, pretending to pretending to care defensively. Um, you know, and then and then the wings, MKG and, and Batum and all these guys, it puts them on an island because they got to suck in more. Uh, and, and teams just slice Charlotte up last season; they really did. Um, so yeah, just with Zeller, a guy that can get out there, and Zeller's shown this in the past up to the level of the pick and roll. Really trap it, keep the ball in front. Uh, you know, send it in one direction. The Hornets used to always you know, send the action to the sidelines under Cliff, under Clifford. So, you know, when you look at, Nate, I think when you really look at like the skeleton of what this defense can be, just from looking back like the 15-16 season, 14-15 really with Zeller at center, um, you know, Kemba at point guard and really Marvin and MKG, the same unit, um, you see the style that made them so successful. So I don't like, really expect a lot of that to change, and that's why I think they'll return to form. But, yeah, just simply not having (laughs) Dwight out there to hang his other four teammates out the dry defensively every time is going to make a huge difference.
1: Yeah, I – agree with you there that that's going to help I I do worry though that there are the weak links there's your Kaminsky your Hernan Gomez who I think actually is not as bad positionally as might be expected but you know he's not going to get out on the floor he's very limited physically for an NBA center at this point in time Monk was just a complete disaster on defense last year Bridges is a rookie uh you know Lamb will kind of wax and wane Tony Parker is uh you know 36 so I, I think there are some good defensive lineups they can put out there uh but again you know if, if there's some issues with zeller's health um you know if they have to play these young lineups if you know batum who you know another guy who has the physical tools but you know is maybe more of an average defensive player over the course of his career You I know, mean, he's got the long arms so i think maybe he tends to get overrated yeah I, i'm not sure i mean if you had to guess where they're gonna rank it in defense this year you know again they were 17th a year ago uh but you know they did at least avoid fouling and they did at least avoid giving up offensive rebounds you know to get to that 17th uh, where would you see them
3: i think they can be right in that you know 9th 10th 11th um area uh, so I, I would probably guess 10th I, I think it can get as high as five you know i i would be wow. shocked if they were I, I would be shocked if they were um if they were a lot worse than they were this season i, mean, I think that's kind of their ceiling like here's the key for me with this team defensively. I think they're fine uh, at every position except for shooting guard. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If Monk is really not able to take a a huge step defensively, I don't know how he finishes games. So we've seen Jeremy Lamb, who's, you know, he's always going to be an average NBA defender on the wing probably at best, but he has taken some steps these last few years. I I was actually pretty impressed with with his defense last season and his attention to detail, which has really always been his issue. Um, if he can take another step defensively, you know, I think there's where you start to unlock this team going six or seven deep with average to above average defenders in most positions. Um, And, and, you know, again, you got to find MKG minutes, but you know, when he's out there that at least you have an anchor. Uh, If he's not able to finish games, it's going to be lamb. And and if lamb can take a step on on that end, then I I think the Hornets are going to be pretty solid um, for 30 out of you know, at least thirty minutes a night on the defensive end.
1: All right, so it's time uh, to do some predictions, but before that, you know, talking about the playoffs here, have you already circled their games against the Detroit Pistons uh, on the calendar? With their these, uh, <laughs> the, they will be in a, in a death match the Pistons uh, for the eighth seed. Uh, with uh, you know, because it seems like I mean, the good thing for Charlotte, they didn't do all that much this offseason, but really nobody below them did that much either. And Cleveland lost LeBron James, so I think you know they're they probably have a better chance at making the playoffs this year. Though we, uh, you and I both predicted they were going to make it last year uh, due to the lack of competition, so there can always be a surprise like the Pacers were last year. But uh, you know, it seems like it's going to be between them and the Pistons here is kind of the, eh, you know, will 39 wins get us into the playoffs brigade?
3: Yeah, it, it, it certainly seems like those two teams are going to have a rock fight all season for the eight seed. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 I don't really, I can't wrap my arms around what I think about Cleveland, um, whether or not they're going to be able to stay in the playoff hunt or not. But uh, but, yeah, you know, look, I, I think Charlotte has a great chance to make the playoffs. Um, you know, I think this team can win 41 games, you know, be somewhere around 500. And I think that should more than be enough to get into the playoffs in the East. That might even be good enough for the seventh. Um, so I, I, I'm a little bit uh, more bullish than, than maybe I expected myself to be uh, after last season going into this this coming season. Uh, for the Hornets, um, so so I think there's a good chance that they're gonna they're gonna beat out Detroit. I like them better than Detroit on paper. I do
1: yeah that's uh you know and both of those teams have new coaches as really the biggest turnover uh and so that that'll be very interesting to see you know what Dwayne Casey and what James Borrego bring to these teams uh and I'm gonna say so what's your your prediction 41 yeah I'm gonna go 41 yeah I, I can't I can't get into the 40s quite yet I mean I think defensively I'm just concerned that there are a few too many bad defenders on this team and I'm just you know there were all these these great things that they did under clifford which you know clifford definitely had some weaknesses but i just wonder about whether they can maintain those with the free throw rate the the defensive rebounding although again you know the spurs kind of fall into those same categories so borrego will emphasize that but it's a you know every coach emphasizes getting defensive rebounds it's just whether you actually can make them execute that or not uh i'm gonna go 37 uh, for this team. I, I've been picking kind of their over every year, and I think I, I'm although actually they that might still be
3: the over for
1: them. That, that yeah, that is the
3: over. I think wow, I think okay. they're 35 and a half, 30, yeah, uh, something like that. So, yeah,
1: I mean, you, you know, you figure they're going to be trying, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, but there is the, the possibility of a walker trade maybe if they totally fall out of it, and then you could see this team mm-hmm. just totally sliding back into the tanking morass. But yeah, I think I'm going to go 37. Uh, I think the defense, you know, I see this team being, you know, a little bit below average on both ends, basically is where I I see them. Uh and if they do try to get more offense on the floor, you know, then the defense ends up suffering. You know, they have a, a few one-way players on, on this team. So that's where I'm gonna end up. I mean, I could see them getting to forty-one, but you know, th- that's not like unrealistic to me, but I couldn't really see them getting to forty-five. You know, that seems like probably a little bit too high. So I, I think uh thirty-seven is where I'm gonna end up. But what do you see as a best case scenario for the these
3: guys. I think what you just said 45 is kind of the, the number I had in my head um, you know we're, we're only a few seasons removed from this being the third best uh, third best team in the Eastern Conference uh, albeit a, a weak Eastern conference but 48 wins uh, a lot of those guys are still in this roster. A lot of them, you know, theoretically in their primes. I mean, if Nick Batum wakes back up from his nap and uh, Kimball Walker continues to to take steps, Cody Zeller comes back, he's healthy. Like, I, I do think, uh, and, and you get something, obviously, from Monk and guys like Miles Bridges are aren't just disasters as young players. I, I do think there's a universe in which 45 wins is is attainable. Um, but, I, yeah, I would put that as kind of the cap of the best-case scenario.
1: How about the worst case? I, I mean, for me, uh, it's maybe Walker gets traded maybe they just start off the season poorly they have some bad luck zeller goes down again uh you know marvin williams who is kind of their their only stretch four option that maybe he's ineffective i mean i could see some serious disaster potential with these guys like i could see them maybe even as low as like 29 wins potentially especially if walker were to get traded and then you know they're really gonna be just uh, absolutely tanking pretty hard maybe even parker could get traded as well um and, and i also gotta say i'm not really a believer in that Parker is going to give them above average backup point guard play this year. So uh yeah, I think it could get as low as twenty nine. What do you think?
3: Yeah. I mean I agree it could get there. I mean it's just the Kemba Walker um you know trade possibility. I mean that just completely changes everything. So I would say you know 27 26 I actually think it'd get even worse yeah. um so you know especially if I mean if Zeller is injured early in the season and they get off to a bad start I think I, I agree I think there's some pretty horrid um boss potential here
1: yeah and when I say best and worst case scenarios to be clear for for people who haven't listened to a lot of these the idea is basically all right you know realistic injuries you have know, Kemba we're not talking about Kemba Walker you know goes out for the season in the first game or something like that obviously you know any team if you lose your best player it, it changes things like the way it did for memphis last year but you know i think when you're talking about someone like zeller who you know has been a 60 game a year player throughout his career you know i think projecting him for those number of games is more realistic so yeah that's uh i mean you're probably uh in a better place as far as compared to me because you know these teams can have a a lot worse ranges than we usually talk about in these best case worst case um all right man well so uh
3: anything else that really
1: sticks out to you about this uh, Hornets team before we go.
3: Uh, no, I mean, I just think that the kind of the overlying uh, storyline here um, with this team is that uh, there is some pretty serious transition about to happen. And I think like the, the the last segment we just covered with best case, worst case. I mean, the variance in what is possible for this team is definitely at like the top of the scale of NBA teams. So, you know, Kimball Walker on the last year of his contract, something is about to turn. I don't know which direction it's going to be. Obviously the front office doesn't either, but, um, but, you know, it's it's scary in Charlotte right now because uh, this thing could get bad uh, pretty quickly or they could win 45 games, between 40 and 45 games this year, re-sign Kim into five years, and, you know, okay, uh, we're looking at a possible playoff team for a number of years now. So the the, the amount of directions it can go in is pretty terrifying.
1: Yeah, Char- Charlotte Hornets, where being a
3: possible playoff team is your, hey Hey, you know what? <laughs> but hey, that, it, it matters, though. You know, not everybody yeah. can compete for championships. It just does. Small markets. And I'll always stick up for the Charlotte small market fan. Like making the playoffs does matter. Not everybody can go after it every year. And especially when the Warriors are just dominating everything. So
1: yeah yeah i mean and i understand that to a degree when you're like okay we're gonna be a solid playoff team every year you know we could be the fourth or fifth season it looked like they might be there after that 2016 and then you know things really slid backward after that point and it seems like they've kind of been chasing the ghost of that season although you know i'm not really sure looking back on it i don't think there's that much they could have done in terms of moves other than moving walker maybe at the deadline last year but uh yeah that's uh be interesting to see where that ends up here you know you you know Mitch Kupchak didn't get that job by saying I'm going to trade Kemba Walker you know so uh, I think <laughs> right. they're going to try everything they can and it would really take a disaster for them to move him but you know maybe maybe that's what ends up happening I mean my prediction is they just end up losing him for nothing in the summer next year you know that seems like uh or they just offer him something crazy but they've got the tax concerns for next year too so either of those it, it's a tough spot to be in you know but uh hopefully yeah. some of these young guys can change the those fortunes a little bit I mean and that's really their only hope that Monk and Bridges can get so good that uh, things change for them.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if you've really put much of any thought into this, but uh, I mean, where do you think? I'm just curious. Where do you think is the the best fit for Kemba Walker and the most realistic as as we go into free agency next year?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I think one of the New York teams uh, is certainly one, you know, both of them are probably going to need a point guard, uh, depending on what D'Angelo Russell does th- this season. Uh, you know, I thought that trading him to the Knicks might have made sense uh, last trade day line you know i don't think that kyrie irving is going to leave boston and so that'll you know the knicks have put a lot of eggs in this basket the history has been that they generally have not been able to hold off on spending i think you know phoenix is a possible option they don't have that much cap space but they could probably open some up you know the pacers would be a very interesting fit as well i mean there are a ton of teams that have space let me look at the, the rest of my list here to see who else is out there um
3: Yeah, Yeah. and and so many players, too, you know, going on the market, which maybe ends up playing in the Hornets' advantage. You know, maybe it drives Kimba's price down a little bit, and they're able to get somewhat of a discount on that five year deal. But uh, it's, yeah, NBA is going to look way, way different a year from now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the Clippers have a ton of space. Uh, You could look at even a Philly, you know, if they strike out on a a bigger fish than that, you've got Chicago has a lot of space as well. They'll probably need a point guard also Utah could have a lot of space they'll need a point guard I mean there there'll yeah. be a lot of teams that could use a point guard and so I mean I think whatever contract Walker signs is probably going to end up being an overpay next summer but it, to me uh, there's enough teams that need someone who's good and, and want to p- compete right away you know that they'd be willing to overpay on the back end and, and you know i i don't think that's going to make as much sense for charlotte but you know once you've held on to them and you've got all these sunk costs it maybe it will but I'm, so much depends on how this season goes if they win 34 games i mean even you know michael jordan and mitch kupchak might see the writing on the wall at that point that it just doesn't make sense to bring this back because you're out of the playoffs already anyway so why overspend you know you got to rebuild at some point
3: you would think, you would think, but that is um that is not Michael Jordan's <laughs> favorite way of thinking. Yeah,
1: I, I so, mean, if I if I were a Hornets fan, this is might sound crazy, but I would actually be rooting for them to be as bad as possible this year to just drum it through their heads that all right, we have to rebuild it at some. Yeah, point. um,
3: yeah, yeah, and I understand that. I just you know like I trust me, I was carrying the torch uh for hey, let's trade him at the deadline this pat this yeah. um you know last trade trade deadline, but. You know, this year, now I'm like, now I kind of want to just abandon the idea of that because now you're getting, you know, pennies on the dollar to what you could have gotten, um you know, six months ago. So, I, I mean, I understand that idea, but at this point, I, I think they should just bite hard and, and play through this with Kimba and then get to next summer and, and talk turkey then uh, because – I mean, they just can't get enough back now to where yeah. pressing reset makes a lot of sense to me. Like, why not just try to keep him at that point? But I mean, I get what you're saying too.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, I think an analogous trade would be Goran Dragic when he was traded from Phoenix to Miami. It seemed like Miami got a lot at that trade deadline. uh They kind of already had the idea, though, that Dragic was going to re sign in Miami right. when that trade was made. So maybe if you can trade him somewhere to where, you know, he really wants to stay uh you know i'm not sure that that's realistic though because there are going to be so many free agent options this offseason uh you know maybe you could get more than that one first round pick but i agree you know I mean, if they're still in the playoff mix and you're just talking about you know a first round pick that's in the 20s for them all right just hold on to them see if you can make the playoffs this year but you know i think they should at least listen and see what's out there if there's something that could really accelerate a rebuilding process then uh, i think you do that but uh, i agree with you i think that the the what they're going to get at this point you know it's a similar situation to where the hawks were with paul Millsap and al horford where it was like all right you know these these packages are so small we might as well just hold on to these guys and yeah they might leave in free agency but at least we'll have another playoff season before then right right so
3: um, it'll be interesting though. It can go, like we said, in a lot of different directions. And, uh, but I would, I mean, I, I would like to see Kimball Walker be a Hornet, um, for his entire career. I think it's important to the franchise and, and it sounds like it's important to him kind of regardless of, of record and all that, um, right now, but it will be interesting. All
1: right. Well, thanks again for, for coming on. This is fantastic uh, as always. And, uh, again, your Twitter handle QCH Spencer, is that right? Is there an underscore in there that I'm forgetting?
3: No. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. At QCH Spencer.
1: All right, and uh, don't forget about it. his podcast and uh, queencityhoops.com as well for all of your Hornets news, uh, and uh, we'll see what ends up happening in what is uh, a watershed year for this Hornets franchise. Talk to you all next time.
0: At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back